0: Coco Crew Podcast is hosted by CyberEars. If you are serious about your podcast hosting needs, you should check out Cyber Ears. Whether you are a podcaster, a radio host, a musician, a narrator, an audiobook author, or simply a school, church, corporation, or anyone else with an audio recording that needs to be hosted or distributed, you should check out CyberEars.com. Unlimited bandwidth, fast, reliable, and rugged servers with no hidden fees. Cyber Ears Your audio, your terms. Listen.
1: It's getting closer.
0: Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? A delicious adventure into the world of retrocomputing news and information featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Okay, welcome Coco Cruisers to episode 17. Uh, this is John Linville, and I'm joined uh, once again by, of course, uh, Neil Blanchard. Say hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, once again by Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> And of course, we are the Cocoa Crew, Uh, uh, so uh, we're back once again for another um, uh, delicious adventure into the world of (laughs) retrocomputing. So uh, here we are, uh, find ourselves in October. Uh, I guess that leaves uh, Cocoa Fest just another six months away. Can you believe it? Six six months since Cocoa Fest, six months left to go. It's starting the the, the big sneak. <laughs> you guys getting uh, some projects underway? No, not yet.
2: <laughs> Boy, I got lots of time. I got six months.
0: Six months.
2: <laughs>
3: you, you got six months. It's all good. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll probably
3: stressing Marco at Cloud Nine though by doing the countdown. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, poor Mark's uh, still working on uh, cleaning up some uh, super spectro uh, issues, and I'm sure he's probably got something he wants to cook up brand new too. So uh, it may get a little. Plus, he's got some uh, some real life issues that uh, affecting his ability to work on uh, cocoa stuff too. So um, hopefully that'll all straighten itself out in a good way soon. So, um, so Neil, you working on any projects?
3: I have been busy uh, restoring a pile of Tandy One Thousands. Tandy One Thousands. Oh no! Yeah. All, all different <laughs> types. The old to the new, the later ones, the forty-six ones even. And uh, yeah, they, they were just
0: filthy. Cool, I not guess. Crazy. It's not uh, not really Cocoa Fest though. What, are you getting ready for Tandy Assembly a little early? Yeah, yeah actually, Tandy Assembly's kind of been on my mind, but
3: uh, yeah, I got to get back into the cocoa. <laughs> Very good.
0: How about you, Mike? You have any retro projects lately? cocoa or otherwise well let's see i recently uh cleaned up
2: a uh a dmp 135 and uh it oh, yeah. was in pretty nasty shape but uh i got it cleaned up and uh, reassembled and it's printing just peachly so i'm happy with that
0: <laughs> awesome what are you using what are you printing with it uh not much really
2: <laughs> I usually do some, I do some graphics from like, uh, from, uh, Coco Max or color Max and, uh, and just do some, uh, just do some test stuff, print out some word processing documentation from the Coco. So, uh, mm-hmm. it all, it all works.
0: That's, hey, well, uh, as long as you enjoy it.
3: <laughs> uh, Does the color Max have a driver for that printer? Uh,
2: it has, uh, well, I think it pretty much a lot of these Tandy one thirties will work with the, uh, they're like compatible with the earlier ones. I forget which model you, you pick. It's the 105 or the.
3: Uh, oh, okay. Uh, it'll it'll still print properly. Well, oh, that's good to know. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know there is some level of compatibility. I don't know how far it stretches, but but uh, Tandy printers uh, tend to act alike, I think, at least within some level of compatibility. So as for me, I haven't been doing uh, a lot of Cocoa stuff uh, recently. I have been working on a, a retro channel. Well, been you know hosting the retro challenge. I'll mention that a little bit later. And then uh, I've been working on my own project for that, which is wire wrapping a... Uh, a uh, cosmic elf, or you know, I'm somewhat updated, but still basically the same cosmic elf from 1976. <laughs> That's a cool project. So it's been taking a little extra time. Uh, wire wrapping is uh, something I've never really done before, and I can see uh, where it has its uses, but I'm still not quite convinced that it's uh, that it's any faster than I could solder. Uh, so I'm probably still not really doing it right, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. All right, well, what about uh, you know, what about eBay? You guys do any acquisitions or maybe sales lately? I, I haven't been doing much on eBay
3: actually, uh, uh, taking a break off it. Um, other than that Tandy power strip I got last month,
2: um, <laughs> pretty much it. I watch a lot more than I'm uh, purchasing these days, but it is fun to watch some of them. Uh, some good bargains out there still to be had. Well, oh, yeah is.
0: definitely so yeah well I'm you know I always have a few trickling in here and there, or you know, I don't know if you ask my wife and the mailman they flood in <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know I picked up well very recently, I picked up a, a a model one video display, of course not for a cocoa for a, not for a cocoa, but for the Tandy model one um that came in and looking pretty good uh, although it uh they have a little problem with the which you'd call a vertical hole or whatever. I'm not actually sure if it's the monitor or the, the model one itself, but i um, not unhappy with it. So we'll, we'll just have to work on that more of a an extended project.
2: Has anyone ever hooked a, one of those TRS-80 monitors to COCO? I mean, it's just a composite monitor, right?
0: Well, so it is, but um, the cable uh, – Comes in. Uh, it seems to be, uh, so, you know, con- connected internally uh, on the monitor side, and then on the computer side. Rather than being a, the traditional RCA plug, it's got a um, five-pin DIN plug <laughs> that it just only uses two of the pins. So you could, I'm sure, you could build an adapter uh, without yeah. a lot of trouble. But I haven't done it. Because I know you can do the – I mean, that's the other hack. You do the Model
2: 1, too, is you can create a a cable to hook it just to a normal composite. So Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. just curious. Yeah, I was tempted to do that, and then came across a nice deal, so I uh, went the other direction. I may still have to do the (laughs) – I may still have to hack the cable. It's nice to have Um, the original monitor matching, too. Yeah, it looks nice. I did also pick up a collection of uh, MC-10 cassettes, uh, you know, the original packages, um oh wow and uh i uh it's duplicates of most of what I had, but I was missing the math design um uh cassette and uh so now I've got uh original copies of all of the uh m c ten software that was produced by Tandy <laughs> excellent that's cool and I've got duplicates of most things too so uh if anybody's uh hot for that, let me know yeah I should be playing with mike um I picked up a um uh, Cocoa graphics designer um, program from Zebra Systems which uh, it's one of those programs from like back in the day you'd use for creating signs and banners and that sort of stuff I had that <laughs> program back
3: in the day uh, and it came in a, this cool little binder I don't know if yours came in that
0: yeah and mine's pretty much loose but I did get three of the graphics discs too so uh, cool some extra pictures yeah
1: that's a neat package
0: yeah, and so then my final big one uh, this month um, is a, a got a new in the box, still sealed, you know, shrink wrapped Avalon Hill Breakthrough game for the Coco. Uh Looks sort of like a, I actually haven't run the program, but from the the uh, uh, picture on the box, it almost looks like a a version of Breakout. breakout. From like a first-person perspective. (laughs) Um, And you said it's sealed? Yeah, it's sealed in the box, uh, plastic wrap and everything. I think it came from um, Puerto Rico or or, uh, it it was, you know, it was not the standard uh, continental U.S. for sure. It was, um, (laughs) oh, I'm sorry, Venezuela. Yeah, so, yeah, wow. it's all the same. people, you know, they don't, they don't care if I get that wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get some feedback Venezuela, now. Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, it's all the same.
1: Yeah, no, sorry about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh Save it for Cocoa List. But that's what I've been doing on eBay lately, so uh, pl- probably plenty enough to shame any normal human, but... Uh, I'm not ashamed. I enjoy my
4: <laughs> retro
0: stuff <laughs> quite a bit. Well, I have to say, John, you always impress
3: me in the stuff you find on eBay. Like, You know, once in a while you send me a link and it, it always amazes me that you find it on there.
0: well you know all you have to do is just uh you know spend all your free time browsing uh ebay and it's uh takes care of itself (laughs) there's a hobby right there yeah it's a hobby unto itself well anyway that's probably enough of a warm-up to get us started uh so why don't we take a little break uh, hear from our sponsors or whatever and uh we'll be back with uh with our announcements
1: <laughs> happy coming from the Coco Coco podcast.
0: Okay, now we're back with some announcements. Uh, we are, of course, the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter as uh, at Coco Crew Podcast, all one word. Uh, we are also available on Facebook. We have a page called uh, The Space Coco Space Crew Space Podcast, or The Coco Crew Podcast. Just uh, search for Coco Crew. I'm sure you'll find us. We are available on iTunes, on uh, Stitcher, and on Google Play. Although I have to mention that for some reason, Stitcher is stuck and is still at this point is still listing um, our latest episode as uh, 15 when of course 16 has been out. Uh, 16 is a little large, so I'm not really sure, you know, that is playing into them not updating uh, their feed or what I have sent them email. They did not reply. (laughs) Uh, We don't, we never have gotten a lot of listeners through Stitcher, so hopefully this is not a lot of people being uh, affected. Um, but just just so you know, if you are or you would prefer to be a Stitcher, um, you know, we've tried to settle this with them, and for some so far they've been intransigent, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, anyway, we are available through iTunes and Google Play. I think uh, we're also available on TuneIn, which is um, – uh, available through that that nifty new Amazon Magic Speaker, or whatever it's called. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Alexa.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I uh, probably should add that in here somewhere too. But anyway, we are a member of the Throwback Network. That is a collection of uh, retro-themed podcasts, um, many of which are technology-oriented uh, around. Uh, 8-bit computers and, and early video game consoles and that sort of thing. But there's a few others that are simply retro. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's quite a list. Uh, if you're looking for other retro-themed uh, podcasts or simply other p- podcast entertainment, you may want to go and check that out. Uh, in addition, we are a member uh, are listed on the Game by Game podcast information hub. There's also a list of retro-themed podcasts. These are particularly technology-oriented um, podcasts uh, dealing with, uh, well, of course, video games. Um, so if you're looking uh, for uh, retro-themed podcast entertainment, uh, do check out uh, either of those links. Uh, audio for the Cocoa Crew podcast is hosted at Cyber Ears. If you have a need to host audio for whatever reason, your own podcast or, you know, whatever you might have, uh, then be sure to check out Cyber Ears where you get uh, your audio on your terms. Uh, if you'd like to reach us by email, uh, of course, Neil and I, uh, we need to add Mike into this, I guess. But <laughs> for now, at least, it's still Neil and I are available as either show at org, podcast at CocoCrew.org, <laughs> or feedback at CocoCrew.org. And of course, uh, I'm available uh, individually as John, J-O-H-N, at CocoCrew.org. And if you'd rather talk just to Neil, you can reach him as Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org. That is our standard set of announcements. Um, Now we're going to hit some announcements for some upcoming events. By the time you hear this, you may have already missed the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, but you know, if not, uh, <laughs> you may want to check it out. The Links in the show notes. It is a, of course, a retro gaming themed uh, event uh, held in uh, the Portland, Oregon, uh, Oregon Convention Center in Portland, Oregon. Um, the uh, event covers um, all sorts of retro gaming uh, consoles, arcade, eight-bit uh, computers, all that sort of thing. If you are in the Portland or, or the Pacific Northwest area of the United States. Uh, I recommend you check out the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, October 21st to 23rd. Coming up uh, November 19th and 20th of 2016, there is the Vintage Computer Festival uh, Europe, which will be held in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, This, of course, is a Vintage Computing Festival event open to a variety of old machines. You'll see uh, big iron and and 8-bit machines and everything in between. Um, looks like, uh, you know, a, they've got a, a nice list of exhibitors and, and uh, speakers and that sort of stuff. Uh, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, again, that's uh, November 19th to 20th, 2016, Vintage Computer Festival Europe. Coming up December 3rd through f- 4th of 2016, uh, we'll have uh, World of Commodore 2016, and that is being held uh, in uh, Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> uh, if you are, uh, you know, uh, north of the border, particularly, or if uh, if Toronto is a reasonable uh, drive for you, I r- recommend you go check it out. Uh, sure, it'll be full of Commodore people, but, you know, they probably don't bite. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> you know, you've been to this event?
3: I have, yeah. It's a, it's a great event. Nice people there, and uh, pretty much anything Commodore is going, so cool if you're scared of toronto um it's not quite in toronto so it's it's a little easier to get to it's kind of it's in mississauga technically but it's toronto <laughs> area
0: okay we'll set the record straight there
3: well i i just know <laughs> that you know some people don't like going into the big city i don't blame them it's kind of hard to get around
0: <laughs> all right well that closes us out to, for events this year we uh, keep on the list of our first event for next year there'll probably be a few more that'll come in b- before we get there, but a big event for us, for for our podcast, of course, this is the 26th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest, uh, last, of course, is in quotes, because they never know if they're going to have another, um, doesn't mean it'll be the last one ever, it just means that uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, well, when it happens, it'll be the last one so far. <laughs> Anyway, it's a great event. It'll be held in Lombard, Illinois, at the Heron Point Convention Center, April twenty-second, twenty-third of 2017. Uh, Come on out and join us. I'm sure uh, all of us will be there. Uh, We'll have uh, talks on retro computing, Coco in particular. See new products, uh, new faces, new friends, new programs. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a great event, and I hope to see all of you there. Yeah, Coco Fest, Neil. Uh, have I been to Cocoa Fest? Are you going to be at Cocoa Fest? Oh, <laughs> you're definitely going to be at Cocoa Fest. <laughs>
2: yeah. Is that Mike trying to get in there? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's definitely a good time. And if uh, if you haven't been to a Cocoa Fest, go to one. You'll have a good time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it um it may have beneficial effects on thinking or mood. And uh <laughs> it may make you... <laughs> uh, more likely to reach out to your fellow uh, retro computing hobbyists. Uh, it's a great event. <laughs> yeah, my only computer
3: is right. fast.
0: Yeah, they do go a little fast. Alright. Well coming up um after Coca Fest is post Coca Fest, shall we say. Um in June June 9th to 11th 2017 will be the Southern Fried Game Room Expo held at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly Hotel and Convention Center. Um this uh is a uh a gaming oriented event, of course. Um They uh, usually have um, both um, uh, like arcade and pinball exhibits. I think they have uh, game consoles exhibits as well. Um, They have um, a Facebook page and and, uh, a Twitter handle. I'm sure you can find out more information. But uh, uh, I I recall that last year they sold out uh, of the hotel pretty early. So... If it's the kind of thing that interests you, you may want to keep an eye out on that and make your plans to get to Atlanta uh, a little early, but,
2: uh, I think I'm going to try anyway. to make that one next year. I've, I've never been to that one and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by the pinball side of it too. I think that would be fun.
0: Yeah. So it looks like a good event. Uh, I've had just a little contact with the organizers via, via Twitter or whatever, but they seem like a friendly group. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it seems to be successful. They've run it for two or three years, and I'm not sure how many years actually. Uh, several years now, at least. I've, I've been watching it for a couple of years, um, and it seems to be going strong. So,
2: and I just love uh, things that are fried as well.
0: So, <laughs> had me a fried. <laughs> yeah, fried is a big benefit for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, so um, one more event on the list here uh, coming up uh, in, um, let's see, what have I got it down as? July 18th through 23rd of 2017, of course, will be Kansas Fest 2017. Now, Kansas Fest is an Apple II event, but it is kind of a unique event. It's uh, it's, uh, even a bit older than Cocoa Fest, and it certainly has a devout following of... uh, uh, Apple II uh, uh, devotees, shall we say, but it's also been drawing other retro computing enthusiasts for the past several years. Um, there's a, a contingent of Atari 8 bit folks that have been showing up. I went a couple of years ago, I didn't go this year. Uh, I would like to go again sometime. Uh, and it's kind of a neat event. Uh, it's summer camp for old men. <laughs> they actually, um, uh rent out a, a dorm in the summertime at uh, Rockhurst University in uh, uh, it Kansas City, Missouri. They uh, have uh, several days of technical talks and hanging out and people playing with the Apple IIs and other retro computer stuff. Um, it's a great event. So anyway, if that sort of thing sounds appealing to you, you should definitely check into it because that event also... Uh, has some tendency to sell out. So you may want to be aware of it and uh, mark it on your calendars. And when the registration opens, uh, you may want to hit it as soon as you can. Okay, moving on. Uh, We mentioned this uh, last month, but uh, I'm going to mention it again. Our friend of the show, Mike Rowan. Say hello, Mike. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, Mike's uh, been uh, producing a lot of uh, audio content for us. Uh, and I've made uh, some of this content available uh, through the CocoaCrew.org website. You can get in and download MP3s and uh, uh, for your own entertainment or to include in your own uh, content uh, that you may produce as part of a podcast or, or whatever else where you might have audio content. I have not updated it recently, although Mike has been sending uh, a few more things in. I should add those uh, out as well. Um, More recently, Mike's actually been producing some video content for us, and I know uh, um, our uh, 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 YouTube-based friends, uh, David Ladd and Steve Strobridge, uh, have taken some interest there. I know at least David has picked one up. Uh, Hopefully, Stevie Stevie will be uh, picking one up as well. Um, Anyway, so if you want to pick up some of this content for your own, like I said, for your own entertainment or to use in, in something... Um, uh, I've got the link here in the show notes. You can check it out and download it and, you know, use it wisely.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this might be a good time just to uh, send good wishes to uh, Steve Strobridge because uh, he endured Hurricane Matthew, so uh, that's keeping him quite busy uh, digging out from that. Not that he was uh, damaged too badly, but all all of Florida is kind of in that mode right now.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. We should, uh, you know— uh, keep those people in mind even even in my own home state of North Carolina out out uh, down east it's uh, they're still experiencing quite a bit of flooding um, which seems a little ridiculous for how long it's been but it's like uh the rest of the state is a big sponge that's being squeezed and all the water's going down <laughs> to there not not to make light of it it's a very serious situation for uh, for those folks but um but yeah, I know Steve, uh, definitely, uh, he had some pictures showing his preparations that, uh, were keeping him busy before the hurricane. And, uh, uh, undoubtedly he's got plenty going on. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we've got that map we talked about, uh, last episode. Uh, there's a lot of cocoa people between, uh, here and there, uh, that, uh, probably had at least some effect by the big storm. So hopefully everyone kept their head down and, uh, uh, didn't go driving in the floods and all that sort of thing that silly people do. Um,
2: and their cocoa's dry
0: and keep your cocoa's dry. That's right. All right. So one more announcement, uh, sort of a vanity thing for me. Uh, we'll mention a retro challenge many times. Uh, this is a, a, um, twice a year event, um, where, um, Retro enthusiasts from around the world get together, kind of propose their own projects and uh, just spend a month um, doing silly things with their (laughs) silly or maybe not so silly, but interesting things with the with their old computers. There have been some changes in the organization of that event, and I ended up um, being the host of the event now. Uh, That current event is for the month of October of 2017. Uh, as we record, uh, record this, we are right in the middle of the uh retro challenge uh, uh 2016/10, so um, October 2016. We do have a couple of people that at least have paid some lip service to uh, <laughs> uh, having an interesting cocoa there, and a couple others who uh, are actually doing some uh, cocoa specific projects. I think we're going to mention those a little bit later in the news section. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're interested in retro computing and, and its various aspects, um, you'll probably find at least one project as part of Retro Challenge that will entertain you. So come and check it out. It's uh, available at RetroChallenge.net. Are
3: you uh, still accepting entries?
0: Um, well, I'm. Uh, I have been. Uh, I did uh, uh, put put on a uh, please no more entries, uh, and then I got one more that I'm going to accept. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you really want to get into the contest with two weeks or less to go, um, I guess I'll let you in. Um, you know, like I said, you, you're going to be judged based on what you've done in the month of October. So, um, you know. That's up to you. Uh, if you think you can make a make a go of it in two weeks or less, but uh, like I said, so far I've, I've accepted every entrant. Um, at this point, we might need more prizes to <laughs> to have a reasonable distribution. Uh, I think we we're up to about I haven't gosh thirty thirty five thirty six entrants, wow. That's it's quite a bit. That's great. So. Yeah, well, it's good to have a lot of activity, so. Yeah, for sure. uh, Into our weird little hobby that that nobody plays with because it's all just for old nerds, right? (laughs) But, oh, well. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, I think that probably concludes our announcements. So uh, let's take another little break. And uh, um, we'll be back in just a bit with some news.
1: once
5: but you can be retro forever a single spark of imagination can ignite the flame of
2: the extraordinary introducing tandy assembly the first gathering completely dedicated to radio shack and tandy computer enthusiasts extraordinary recapture the excitement of the early days of radio shack microcomputing Relive the Tandy evolution of MS-DOS compatible systems. Meet people who continue to support and expand these retro computer systems. New products, new software, new ideas. A single spark of imagination. From pocket computer to Tandy 6000. From Z80 to 486. You're only young once. We're not finished rediscovering our most beloved computers. Join us at Tandy Assembly. Retro forever. Something new is coming. October 2017. Tandy
0: Assembly. Okay, Coconuts. Now we're back with some news. Uh, It's uh, the news segment. I I say it's still pretty healthy this uh, month, but it may be a little shorter than usual. Uh, it's really only been about three weeks, uh, between recording sessions. So the news hasn't quite built up as much as it usually does. Uh, I think there's probably still enough here that we can, uh, we can make the best of it. <laughs> you think you guys think we can uh, do all right with this? Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Well, so the first, um, really our first three are all from, uh, from Rick Adams. Uh, of course, Rick Adams was a, a game developer from back in the day on the Cocoa, um, And uh, I think he may have mentioned earlier, uh, in some earlier news, uh, or maybe in uh, interviews he's done, uh, like with Steve Strobridge or whatever, that he had worked on a game called Bomb Threat, that Bomb Threat had kind of disappeared. (laughs) And then at some point, uh, he found some some video footage of it, uh, and he is uh, now... uh, making some of that available uh and so he's got a gameplay video for bomb threat that he's posted to facebook and uh, unfortunately all he's got is the the vhs recording of the play it looks like a kind of a cool game to play and uh maybe eventually uh rick will find uh <laughs> find that source code and in, in the uh in his basement or whatever i think he made a joke somewhere about um Putting uh, uh, WikiLeaks tapes in his, uh, uh, giving a tip to to the FBI that he's got WikiLeaks tapes in his <laughs> video <laughs> or in his basements <laughs> to help him search. <laughs> um, along the same lines, um, Rick also posted. Uh, the, the next link is him posting gameplay of uh, of Shanghai during develop uh, during development. Uh says note that his default tile color set at the time was different than the final colors chosen and that she's included their color set as a hidden option in the final version. I think Neil's mentioned that. Uh, yeah, you, could, you can access that, actually. It's a hidden spot on the screen if you click with
3: the mouse. Uh, yeah. Label that set. It's really cool. It's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. And cool. And so then one more video Rick has posted, uh, some gameplay of uh, Temple of Rom during development. And then uh, – He says originally his player was a simple square as an homage to the Atari adventure game that inspired it, which I didn't realize. I didn't realize Temple of Rom was inspired by adventure. Did you guys know that? No, I I didn't actually. I was surprised to read that. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. They're sort of similar in some sense in the gameplay, but anyway, kind of cool. Thanks Rick for sharing those videos. It's cool to get some insight into The development uh, history of those games, and uh, hopefully we get to see Bomb Threat someday. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would.
2: Yeah, I also enjoyed uh, uh, Rick's uh, video of uh, getting the Coco Crew podcast set up on his uh, Amazon uh, device. Oh, yeah. Just uh, ask for it to start playing, and it comes right on. That's neat.
0: Yeah, no, that that is pretty cool. That's uh, it's we we live in a golden age of technology in some ways. Hopefully, the technology isn't just feeding it to some poor person in Mumbai, just listening to to hear uh, <laughs> Rick speak of command and then press a button. <laughs> um, which I would not be surprised these days if that's the way things are done. But uh, uh, I guess I'm just throwing shade. But. <laughs> the the next four uh, are all from Ed Snyder, and they're referencing his uh, firmware development for his MC-10 Supercart. And so we've kind of mentioned before that uh, Ed's been doing some work with the MC-10 cartridges. Uh, he has the, the ROM game cartridge that uh, he made available He's been working on the supercart that, uh, has, you know, ROM and RAM available. And, and I guess it has, uh, it's going to have a, a, uh, sound chip available. And, uh, I guess he's trying to expand out the firmware to make it friendly and easy to use or whatever. So he had, uh, uh three or four posts, uh, over the course of the month. And as he added and improved his menu, uh, all the way up to to now he's finally got a, a music player built into the menu. So you can um, pick music so that plays on the uh, the AY three eighty nine ten style of uh audio chip and uh, it sounds really good of course. Uh, and, uh it's a pretty neat project. Um it's uh the the card itself's probably more advanced than the M C ten. Yeah, without <laughs> a doubt. But, uh, I, I it was actually thinking. Uh, it's kind of neat. It's uh, it's interesting when somebody posts, um, you know, all their developments along uh, the course of a month or whatever, or the course of how they're doing it. You can kind of see stuff progress. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Either you guys are going to jump in on that uh, MC10 uh, supercar when it's available.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of jumping in because uh, I've actually figured out how to get a power source working for my MC10. Oh yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, a nine volt power adapter, uh, AC will work. And oh yeah. The NES power adapter. It actually works.
2: That's good to yeah. know because there's so many of those out there without power supplies on eBay.
3: I know. I noticed that, um, and I, I have two here without power supplies, and I figured, well, i got to I gotta try something. So I was actually did
0: some research and uh, got that working. Good. They plug it into a, a NES uh, power, power yeah. well Those are fairly common, plus replacements for those are common, so that's cool. Yeah, there's aftermarket ones uh, that they're, they're still making, so that's great. Does the Nez Brick output AC or DC power? AC. It is AC. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on. And let's see, I'll try to get that uh, link in the show notes fixed. <laughs> All right. So, moving on. Um, the next one is a link to a thread uh, on the Cocoa mailing list. Um, the thread was started by Barry Nelson. I kind of took interest in it. To, uh, you know, actually, I think he kind of hijacked another thread, which is a, a, a sort of an email, uh, internet etiquette kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> but I'll try not to be a pissy about that. Um, but uh, anyway, he's talking about Cave Walker, which is a, a, a game for the Coco. It says, Cave Walker does not run on Nitrous 9 L2 on physical hardware but does run on nitrous 9 l2 on vcc it runs on os9 l2 on physical hardware fine and when run that way it takes advantage of some coco three features um so anyway this led to a fair amount of discussion um, you know about you know there's os9 level one v2 versus os9 level two and you know whatever but for me the big thing was why does it run on VCC if it doesn't run on physical hardware, <laughs> you know? So it kind of suggests that, you know, VCC um, isn't doing something quite right, even if it kind of creates a, a result that's more pleasurable, right? <laughs> right, right. So so I don't know. I guess it's a, kind of an ongoing thing um, that um, – uh, you know, people dealing with emulators. I, I think there's a plenty of people in the community that that uh, are happy with an emulator that runs stuff that it's not supposed to. <laughs> 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 whereas, whereas for me, if it runs stuff that it's not supposed to, that's just as bad as not running stuff that it is supposed to. You know what I mean?
3: So that's right. Like, like an emulator should be true to the the real hardware, at least in my yeah. Be.
0: Well, I mean, I can kind of see it both ways, depending on your exact situation. But, Especially for but people
2: for, that are, are developing in these emulators, because they may think it's running great, and then they, you know, get it to on real hardware, it doesn't run.
0: Right, and as as a developer in general, that's kind of where my perspective is. But, um, like I said I knew a lot of people that that were happy to to play Farfall on VCC even though VCC is supposed to be a Cocoa 3 emulator and Farfall doesn't run on the Cocoa 3. But if you want to play Farfall, that's great and, and if you're using VCC, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't have to find another emulator. So I guess it just all depends on your perspective. But if you're using VCC and, and decided to use a SG12 graphics mode and it works fine and then you can't figure out why it doesn't run on real hardware, you know, that would be disappointing yeah so definitely. if if you're developing medical applications, you probably shouldn't be using v c c that's probably true that's probably true yeah any life or death development for the cocoa uh you may not want to use v c c but uh I don't know. hopefully they'll fix it up uh, at some point but um you know I guess that remains to be seen but anyway. Just wanted to uh, include this thread because I thought that was interesting to note that, that there are these sort of issues out there. Okay, the next one is just a link out to, uh, and I'm not even sure how I stumbled across this. Um, and the person, Chris Smith, is somebody that, that I I think I see some, you know, random hacker, technical retro hacker kind of stuff from at different times. Um Anyway, there's a link out to to his page, this Chris Smith's uh, uh, page on on Thingiverse. And if you're not familiar with Thingiverse, Thingiverse is kind of – well, it's almost like a SourceForge or GitHub kind of page. But instead of having source code for a program, uh, what it has is uh, design files for – really for 3D printers, but it's basically for any kind of 3D manufacturing. It's just it's sort of – most people that use it are using it for 3D printing, and so he's got a couple of projects out here that he's listed. on. Uh, right now, I see four, and a couple of them are TRS80 Model 100 related, um, battery covers and such, and then a couple of them are Coco related. One of which um, is a a case for the Raspberry Pi, which is a you know a popular kind of hackerish. Um, Internet of Things kind of um, development board that runs Linux on an ARM processor. But a lot of people use them for running like retro emulation kind of projects or whatever. Anyway, so he's got a a case for the Raspberry Pi that's in the shape of a color computer one. (laughs) And so that's kind of cool. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, especially if you're going to use a Raspberry Pi to do a Cocoa emulation, you may want to do something like that. So you may want to look at that. The other thing he has is a pretty slick-looking uh, uh, case uh, for the Cocoa SDC cartridge. Uh, and I know a lot of people have gotten uh, the cases from John Strong for Cocoa SDC. Um, I'm still running the ahead. original Cocoa SDC case from uh, Tim Linder. Okay, and there's that as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of – there's a, a lot of cases, I'm sure, that can uh, – or at least those those variants uh, that exist that can be used. Of course, the, the original case uh, was designed for was what, the uh, a spare FD-502 style of case or something like that. That's um, right. But, you know, if you don't want to use one of those or if you're just still looking around, not quite happy with the case that you've been using, um, or you just want to be different <laughs> – then you may want to check out uh, uh, Chris's uh, Thingiverse site and uh, check out his design. It's <sighs> very cool. Very cool. Really makes you want to get a 3D printer. Yeah, uh, I I kind of got in the 3D printing a little too early, <laughs> <I> kind of <laughs> let my, my my wallet get ahead of my actual knowledge, <laughs> and so I bought uh, a, one of the early uh, uh, MakerBot cupcakes, which was like the first ones that were sort of available to the general public, uh, and uh, it just I never quite really got it to work, because it was really fiddly, you know, had to... Uh, set a lot of things just right. And you had to understand a lot of stuff about the software that you may not need to know as much about now to make things work. And uh, anyway, I never quite got it to work right. And it seemed like every time I'd get it close to working right, that something would break and I'd have to repair it. (laughs) So it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for 3d printing. Um, And, uh, and having seen enough 3d printing as it did become successful, I'm not actually all that happy with, the the physical outputs of most 3d printers and kind of, it's not as nice as say the injection molded stuff or whatever, in my opinion. Um, but well, it, doesn't,
3: uh, it doesn't look the same at all.
0: Yeah, but it is cool. And so you can do some really cool things with 3d printing at some point. I'll probably buy another newer, you know, more of a 3d printing appliance kind of design. <laughs> uh, and then maybe I can, you know, be less uh, uh, less onerous or, or <laughs> whatever about <laughs> about 3D printing. <laughs> anyway, speaking of cool, though, we've been talking about cool stuff. Uh, so Matt Witt posted a a, a picture to the TRS80MC10 group on Facebook, Facebook and uh, which is really cool. I think his he's, his title is "When You're Bored and Realize You Have the Stuff to Reproduce a Magazine Cover uh, from from the 80s." Or from June 1983, it says. And so he's got a picture, uh, you know, and I I assume it's probably from Rainbow. uh, But it's a MC-10 with uh, the book for the MC-10 and then a a, a cassette player and then a portable television. And it's running a program that shows an American flag on the television. It's got a kid smiling or whatever. And it's even got a little pot with uh, some colored pens or something in it. And then he did his own picture <laughs> and he's got the MC 10. He had the exact same portable television, <laughs> the exact same cassette recorder. And then he even threw in and it's not exactly the same, but he threw in a little coffee cup with colored pens and stuff. <laughs>
3: yeah, that was, that was awesome. Really great. Uh, what blew me math. away was that a little color te- television. Yeah. yeah.
2: That just sets it off. And, uh, uh, you know, Matt doesn't strike me as a guy who has time to be bored, but, uh, yeah, when yeah. he is, uh, we hope he's bored some more cause that was so cool.
0: Yeah. Very funny. Very funny. Sure. Very, uh, clever humor for sure. And, uh, why on earth he has that television? I don't know. Maybe he's a, a more obsessive collector than, than, than any of us are, or maybe uh-huh. he just happened to have it, um, but that's pretty cool. Um, we should have a, we should have a contest for something like that, uh, <laughs> for Cocoa Fest or whatever. I thinking
2: the same thing would be a good contest, uh, idea to, you know, uh, recreate an, either an advertisement or a, a cover. Yeah. So maybe that think.
0: we should just have an open contest to send us your, your recreations of, uh, uh, you know, your Tandy computer magazine ads or, or whatever. And, uh, Anything that strikes us as cool, maybe we'll send you uh, <laughs> one of those uh, Steve Strobridge DVDs or something like that. A free subscription nobody... to Cocoa Crew podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, nobody plays our contest. Uh, I guess everybody thinks uh, we're too tough or something. But we need to. We need some kind of participation. Uh, so come yeah, on. That's right. Somebody send us in some cool stuff. See if you can beat Matt's uh, picture. That, that's pretty pretty cool.
2: Yeah, and if you send it, uh, if you send it to the show, we can uh, post it in the notes. So even though it's a
0: yeah.
2: podcast, you can still get to the pictures. That'd be cool.
0: Well, there, that'd be cool. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, the next one uh, is uh, from uh, Norm Um uh, Lameru, uh, uh, looks French, uh, but I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, Norm, <laughs> let me know how, I'm, uh, how I should be pronouncing it if I'm not getting close enough. I think you got uh, so... it. It sounded good. <laughs> he uh, posted to the Color Computer Facebook group, and uh, it's a T-shirt – with uh, uh, the uh, graphics on it. it's Coco Cat, <laughs> Happy Fifth Anniversary, and the Rainbow Two. Uh, Coco Cat fan club member, and, uh, I guess Coco Cat and the Rainbow Two fan club member. And so was this uh, an iron-on? Uh, somebody, Bill Pierce, has a comment beneath it. it. Says that he still has the iron-on and the Rainbow issue it came in. So is this an iron-on that came in Rainbow that you could uh, put on your own T-shirt?
2: That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, pretty no, that's cool. pretty
0: cool. I should look and see if I've got that. <laughs> you know, we should do a run of those T-shirts. Yeah, we should re- remake that graphic, and this wouldn't be too hard. Yeah, if only we hard. knew somebody who was clever with digital editing and could reproduce <laughs> graphics and sound and that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We could change it. So instead of happy fifth anniversary, you could say, hey, have you got your Cocoa 3 yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go
2: yeah, uh,
0: Sounds good Well, anyway, well, that's cool uh, You know, I think uh, We all have some fond memories Of Cocoa Cat uh, Roaming around the pages of Rainbow Magazine So um <laughs> Uh, I'd, I'd probably like to have one of those, uh, t-shirts. I don't know if I would, uh, if I actually found the iron on in my magazine, I don't know if I could bring myself to, to use it <laughs> just, uh, since it's, um, uh, you know, the antique or whatever, but, uh, maybe I would. <laughs> there was Go some ahead. cool
3: stuff in the rainbow magazines. You got the iron on and then there was that, uh, floppy,
0: uh, record. Yeah. 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 That was neat.
2: And
0: there were some yeah, with they, uh, posters, I believe, too. Yeah, I was going to say, were there posters? You know, uh, I'd like, I wish there were more Coco posters out there. I know. Uh, somewhere I, I picked up uh, one that came with the Klindathu, uh game. You remember mm-hmm. Uh Yeah, apparently it came with a poster. Uh, and I got uh, a copy of that, just a poster from someone. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I think maybe that Adam game had one as well so maybe a couple of the games had them um and of course there's that um the wizard or whatever from uh, the, from the rainbow adventure issues or whatever i know uh boise ended up with i think uh it had belonged to tony at some point and he gave it to boise um or sold it i'm not sure which but then boise had it had it mounted in a nice frame or whatever and has it hanging yeah. in a uh, his office down there in uh, Cloud Nine Lab South, and uh, makes you nice. be jealous. Looks <laughs> nice. <man. laughs> yeah. Anyway, so now we have uh, another chapter, chapter 33 of the Pop Star Pilot uh, Game oh, Development me. Blog <laughs> by Nick right. Marentis, um, oh, and man. basically this is not really about development so much as uh, the, some of the details of getting it shipped and whatever. And then he has a uh, links to some videos uh, actually we're going to mention these videos a little bit later and uh, anyways, so he's just sort of wrapping up i think the project here in this uh, blog post so i don't know if there'll be any more after that um not many i imagine but uh yeah it's uh getting close to the end of october so hopefully those uh pop star pilot uh, game uh, media will be uh, heading out to across the world soon, making its way to, to my mailbox and yours. What do you think? Looking forward to that. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Can't wait
3: to try that game. Yeah, yeah it looks pretty cool. Uh, should be fun
2: to play. Well, it's the perfect time of year to get something like that when the, the holidays coming up.
3: That's right. Yeah. Should be fun. Yeah, and I've always been a big right, fan right. of 2D shooters, so it's kind one of one of my favorite genres. <laughs>
0: side scrolling, uh. yeah, side scrolling uh, 2D. All right, so here's another one from Matt Witt, and this was basically just, uh, I guess he had gotten a copy of um, of uh, Ed Snyder's uh, MC10 game cartridge. So he says, "How cool is the first ever MC10 game cartridge? Uh, off the freaking chart, cool! Thanks, Ed Bosco and Darren. Now back to work to working on my flag and bird high score." And I'm not sure if uh, you know that's what drew Bosco, that's Steve Bamford's attention, but uh, apparently Steve had not been aware of this project. And so this this project's a little bit strange uh, in a sense that um, Steve actually wrote uh, his Flag and Bird game for the Coco, or for the Dragon, I guess. Uh, so it's a 6809 machine language game. Well, Darren Atkinson, who's a very very talented individual uh, has taken the the time to do um, basically machine language translations of a couple of games. One of the is uh, Space Assault, I guess. And the other, of course, is uh, Flag and Bird uh, and translate the 6809 code to the 6803 uh, machine language necessarily to run on the MC-10. And then... Darren made those binaries available to Ed, who included them on his game cartridge. But I think somewhere in this confusion, maybe, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what happened, uh, but one way or another, it sounds like uh, Steve was unaware of the game cartridge going out and he found out about it and it looks like he wasn't entirely happy about finding out this way <laughs> uh and who can blame him i mean you know it's on the one hand it's cool that somebody's using your stuff or doing these things with your 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 code on the other hand it, you know might be nice to know that in advance right so anyway uh, i think we're going to talk about this a little more extended fashion a little bit later but uh this uh this link is is to the conversation that uh, or to the interaction on Facebook that kind of leads to our our host topic discussion a little bit later so just for reference if nothing else <laughs> what do you think guys it's a good topic to discuss yeah
3: yeah for sure cuz i think most people wouldn't mind as long as they had the you know the heads up on it, at least
0: yeah well like i said i i think steve was did not seem to be particularly no. upset um, But you know, just and I, kind of
3: a, a strange way to find out.
0: Yeah, well, and I don't, I don't know that Ed really. I mean, it, I don't know if he made a serious mistake. He might have been a little confused or, or by the, because I think he didn't even know that Steve Bamford was Bosco. Uh, That's right. And so I'm not sure if, if he knew who Bosco was. Maybe he thought it was an, an alias for Darren. I don't know. Maybe we should <laughs> probably <laughs> not go too far on that discussion without bringing no. in Ed or somebody to talk about it. You know, I don't know that we're going to litigate this uh, particular situation, but we're going to, this is just the seed for a discussion that we're going to have a little bit later. And, and, uh, hopefully we won't, uh, you know, <laughs> get too specific on any of that. We'll just, just talk around the issue and expand it out into some other kind of related topic. Anyway, we'll get there, uh, another 20 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So let's move on. Um, now this one is not Coco related. Uh, does Atari ST computer sales and market share a comparison and, and a comparison to what? Well, it's uh, it's on a, a forum called amigalove.com. <laughs> and in, in case you weren't paying attention to computers in the 90s, the, the Amiga and the Atari ST were kind of rivals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the Atari ST computer sales and market share a comparison to the Amiga is basically what the, the title ought to mean. Uh, And so it's kind of an interesting read. There's some numbers in there. Um, None of them are about the Cocoa, although there are numbers in there for the Apple II. You might could draw some some distinctions from there uh, or some conclusions from there. Um, I don't know how valuable they'd be, but the point being, I think this kind of numerical analysis is something that a lot of people are interested in in the retro scene. And knowing exactly who sold what uh, to who, how much, that sort of stuff is definitely something that I would like to know. Uh, in this case, not so much about the Amiga and the Atari, but it's about, you know, the 8-bit Ataris versus the Commodores and, and the the uh, TRS-80s and the Apple and and that sort of stuff. Uh, and for whatever reason, these numbers are pretty hard to come by. So I, I guess I've included this partly just so you can see how much trouble they went through to get these numbers, which just are a little bit closer in time to us now. And maybe, you know, there were bigger companies. Uh, so you'd think they'd be a little bit easier to get, but <laughs> alas, I don't I don't think they were. Um, but anyway, so I included it. Uh, hopefully you'll find it interesting. Uh, and hopefully it it throws some, uh, some understanding on why these numbers are hard to get for machines that are a little bit closer to us. Just like can't get the
3: number of how many COCO-3s were sold.
0: How many COCOs in general? Yeah. That's that's exactly what I was going for. But... <laughs> oh, well. It'll be a mystery. <sighs> yeah. All right. Again, the next one's also not particularly cocoa related although it comes a little bit closer to being TRS-80-related at least. Um, history of Xenix, Microsoft's forgotten Unix-based operating system. Hopefully most of us have heard of Unix. If you're a little bit too young to have heard of Unix, maybe you've heard of Linux. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with Unix or the Unix wars or the whatever, that's certainly a retro topic that's worthwhile to pursue on your own uh, through Wikipedia or whatnot. But uh, it is interesting to, to to hear that Microsoft at one point was a big, uh, really a Unix vendor uh, through the through, by way of Xenix. The uh, part of that sales was through uh, the uh, the Tandy's uh, six thousand line. I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting. It's not a real long story, so it
2: just, it is uh, interesting. Um, uh, you know, at one time Radio Shack was like the largest supporter and user of Xenix because of the 6,000. Yeah. And uh, amazing. Pete Satinsky's got some really cool uh, videos out on his YouTube channel. I watched one recently of doing a backup to a, uh, an external hard drive. Uh, and it's kind of neat because you can watch, you know, he's using TAR basically through a menu system to back everything up. But you can see all those uh, familiar uh, Unix, Xenix commands as they're getting copied over. So
0: kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, moving on back to something a little more cocoa related. Of course, in many, many of our shows, we've mentioned Jim Gary, uh, is a prolific, uh, author for cocoa stuff or particularly for the MC 10. And that's what most of these, uh, links here are going to be. But so he's got, um, um, what well, he posted about his port of, uh, um, miniature golf by Mitch Voth. <laughs> Which uh, I don't know if that's a well-known game or not, but uh, you know, he's got a description that, on his blog about where the game comes from and what he's done to port it. Uh, he kind of continues on with uh, some other games that he's picked up: uh, Deep Scan, Graph Demo, and Fur Trade. <laughs> and he's making these available on his homepage uh, along with all the other games that he's done, including. Uh, a simulation game uh, by David All. I should look that one up because David All posted, uh, you know, David All did a a number of kind of type in basic uh, books back in the day. Uh, And I don't know if any of them actually targeted the MC-10. Some of them might have had translation instructions for the cocoa, i'm not sure but uh so there's probably a little bit of work uh involved in in taking those games and making them work on the mc10 but yeah so, so david all particularly had a, a, a book of ge- uh, basic programs for for doing simulations that i actually recently acquired off of ebay because of course i did <laughs> 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 and, uh, so i should look and see if i can figure out which one he's simulating here pretty cool stuff jim gary
3: you know he it's amazing how much he's porting over. If you need help in the basic computer language, I think it'd be safe to ask Jim.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, he's definitely got some expertise there. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of interest or, or free time or what, I don't know. It's, um, he's enjoying himself. I know one time he did some of this work with his, uh, I think his son, certainly his kid. I think it was his son. Um, and uh, definitely I can see how if your kid wants to do that sort of thing, it'd be fun to do together. But either way, um, I hope he's having fun. Certainly, he's still doing it. So presumably, he's still enjoying himself. So yeah, nice thank you, me. Jim, for sharing that with us because uh, it's it's good to have uh, that information and let people know you're not the only weirdo playing with the old computer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, keep them coming. Definitely. It's great.
0: Yeah. Okay. Speaking of making sure we know we're not the only weirdos, uh, the next two links come from Steve Strobridge. Steve, of course, is our, our uh, big YouTube personality uh, in the community, um, or sort of maybe the lead one. Uh, we've got uh, at least David Ladd is uh, coming up on his uh, six at this point, but <laughs> Steve uh, posted uh, a couple of st- a couple of the links. Where um, the first one is about um, this link's talking about Cocoa Fest 25 bonus video part one. He actually did part two as well. And these are uh, videos he did basically from the sing-along or the play-along or whatever they do. (laughs) It's a Saturday night kind of jam session. And uh, I think they didn't really do a lot of singing in this time. It was mostly playing music, but I could be wrong. It's not my favorite part of the Cocoa Fest, uh, but some people do enjoy it. And it's kind of a cool, quirky thing. Um, So some people enjoy it. I'm glad to We've got to document it on tape so uh, <laughs> we can preserve it. Anyway, so he did that. And then also he has um, a couple of uh, videos he did with Nick Morentis. One was a pretty extensive uh, tape or, or video uh, relating to Gate Crasher, which was a, a game that uh, Nick did some time ago. Uh, And basically, Gatecrasher is based on a technology demo done by uh, John Kowalski or Sogmaster um, for a using ray casting, which is the technology behind Wolfenstein 3D and, and Doom. And so Gatecrasher was a Doom style or probably closer to Wolfenstein style of game. Uh, where it's a first-person shooter. You go into different rooms and shoot bad guys and uh, have an adventure that way. And uh, so this is an extended gameplay with uh, uh, Nick talking to to Stevie and and giving him advice on how the game is played and giving uh, some amount of insight on how the game was developed and that sort of thing. So it's a reasonably interesting uh, video to watch. I watched it. Uh, as well as that, Nick and uh, Steve uh, did a video, uh, just basically an unboxing of a preliminary copy of Popstar Pilot. Uh, and uh, so show how how the game itself is being packaged physically and then show the gameplay and, and uh, author interview and stuff. Did you guys watch these videos? Yeah, I checked them out.
2: Yeah, I definitely watched the uh, pop star. Uh, I hadn't had a chance yet to. Uh, I get there's so many videos. Uh, Steve's like a machine putting these things out, so it's it's, <laughs> it's hard to get to all the time to to watch them. Yeah. But they are very enjoyable.
0: They are. Yeah. Well, it's a good problem to have complaining about too much content. But <laughs> <That's> uh, <true. laughs> yeah. Oh Lord. Well, cool. Well, Steve, thanks for making those videos and making us aware of them. Uh, it's good to see. Uh, like I say, more content in the community uh, helps. You never know which bit is going to inspire somebody else to do their own uh, project or their, add their own content to the community. And the more that That's we true. get, the more we grow and the more opportunity we have to enjoy our hobby. So very cool stuff. All right. The next one is, uh, well, speaking of uh, David Ladd, he had done a video. And it's uh, setting up DriveWire ser- for server on a Raspberry Pi running Raspbian Wheezy. Um so uh if if you're familiar with the um uh, the linux world shall we say there's a one of the w- most well-known community distributions of linux is uh is one of the oldest is called the debian uh which literally got its name from the two kind of co-founders a, a a couple named deb and ian <laughs> debian um and anyway, this uh, this uh, you know venerable uh, distribution uh, is uh, used by a number of people for a number of reasons, but uh, for a number of tasks or purposes. Um, but the the Raspberry Pi um, kind of Internet of Things style computer that's out there, um, for whatever reason, they base their kind of standard uh, distribution. Uh, on debian but they're not actually officially part of the debian project so they've kind of got a version that they call raspian and so it's a little play on words right um and so wheezy is is the name given to the version of raspian And I think that's a fairly recent version. David is showing how to use, how to install, I don't know if he actually shows installing Raspbian Wheezy on the Raspberry Pi or not, but he shows how to install DriveWire Fire on top of uh, that operating system and make use of it. So it's kind of a tutorial video, and um, it's just a good way to pass on some knowledge within the community.
2: Yeah, that was a good that was a good video. I did watch that video, and uh, uh, one of the things I did like about it is he does not show installing Raspbian uh, because, as he says in the video, there's dozens of those out there. So if you've got a Raspberry Pi with, the, with it already installed, uh, he just walks you through installing uh, DriveWire and setting it up. Oh, wow, that's awesome. great. And it's it's I mean that's a I'm sure other people have done that, but it's kind of cool because you know you could easily put a Raspberry Pi inside the case of your Coco and uh, just always have a drive wire for. Wouldn't be hard to wire it to power either.
3: Yeah. Or this could warrant that uh, 3D printed case for the Coco 1. But right. <laughs>
2: that, exactly.
0: We've got to get right. one made
2: for the Coco. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, all right, very cool. Now, the next one, uh, this is a pretty simple query that somebody posted uh, to the TRS-80 color computer, Uh, Facebook group a couple of days ago. Can a Cocoa 2 keyboard be retrofitted to work in a Cocoa 1? Um, And I think it's kind of an interesting question uh, because the answer is sort of an it depends. (laughs) And so it turns out there, there are a number of variants uh, variations of the Cocoa 1 different motherboards. And some of the, some of the motherboards had different connectors for the keyboard, some of the connectors, some of the motherboard connectors were uh, the same or similar as what were used on the Coco 2, and some were not. Um, and then I've seen, as far as Cocoa 2 keyboards, um, I definitely have seen Coco 2 keyboards that had, the uh, so Cocoa 2 keyboards use a, you know, a Mylar film um, cable that kind of just gets shoved into a, the end of a, or shoved into a, a connector. On the motherboard, um, and so to facilitate that shoving, they have a, a a piece of plastic kind of glued onto them to firm them up at the end. But I've seen some that have it, the the piece of plastic glued on one side versus some that have it glued on the other. <laughs> and so not every Coco 2 keyboard works on every Coco 2. So then if you do, you know, once you answer the question of can you put a Cocoa 2 keyboard on the Cocoa 1, then you're back to the, yeah, but which Cocoa 2 keyboards will work on your Cocoa 1? You know what I mean? So it's kind of a complicated issue. So anyway, there's some discussion on the Facebook chat. There actually, not just a month ago or so, I found a a link to a, a Cocoa mailing list. It was basically the same question. And so I've included a link to that down in the show notes using a COCO-T keyboard and a COCO-1. It's actually Jason Lee Steers involved in both discussions, so you probably get similar information between the two, but you never know what little factoid might escape. (laughs) Right? Um, So, uh, anyway, it's an interesting topic. Um, Maybe we'll go into it at some point on the show, but it's a little bit, well, I don't know if it's specific or not, but... I don't know. We'll take it under advisement on that. But hopefully, between all those uh, sources of information, Daniel Wolfson, who's the person that asked the question, maybe he can get uh, a good answer.
3: I guess a lot of people want to change their uh, Cocoa 1 keyboards because they don't like those chiclet keys.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Or they probably wear out, too, though. Um,
3: I
2: could be they can't find a, a Cocoa 1 because uh, I know I'm a fan of the Cocoa 1 chiclet keyboard. I think uh, I think yeah, people just like dismiss it too early if you've used it for a while. It's actually quite good, I think.
0: Yeah. I know. As a kid, I had a Cocoa One, and I was pretty good. I could actually touch type on the chiclet keyboard. Of course, my hands were smaller then, but um, and and they move better. But <laughs>
3: and, if, and if you but, think about it, uh, we've actually gone back to chiclet keyboards. I mean, most laptops now, even uh, yeah. desktop keyboards. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. So I don't know if that's too good, but you yeah. Know. <laughs> Anyway, well, moving on, um, so we, there was a query to the Cocoa mailing list, um, which, uh, in the past, uh, Jim Brain had, uh, been working on a, a replacement for the multi-pack interface uh, and uh, his base replacement was four ports, but then I guess he also had a, a configuration where he could go up to eight ports. The use of the, the, way the, the slot uh, settings are encoded on uh, for, for use of, of the different um, selecting different ports on the multi-pack, I think lends itself to, to being extended certainly beyond four ports. Uh, and so uh, there are some designs floating around for eight-port MPIs, maybe even bigger. But um, I guess some people want an eight-port MPI, and particularly, I guess it was Camelus BlockX um, was asking about it. So he he sent, I think he sent a couple of these out asking for these updates. And so finally, Jim responds that uh, he's not working on it right now. Uh, his system can support eight ports, but he's concentrating on using it for four ports because he doesn't think eight ports is of much practical use. So... If you're hoping to see an 8-port MPI come out, uh, you you may want to refocus your hopes. <laughs> or you need to contact Jim and tell him why you really need it. 8-ports. Imagine how huge that would be. Yeah, I don't really see much reason to have 8-ports unless you got some pretty specialized combination of hardware on the Cocoa. Yeah. But I don't know. Talk about some desk real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, like I said, if you have... Maybe if you were, have some custom hardware, yeah, you know, maybe there'd be a reason to have up to eight of the, uh, the the same kind of design or eight, whatever. But right, if you're building custom hardware, you could probably put them all on one card, get it done with one one slot anyway. But yeah. true.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of the size of it, or an interface to some other kind of bus.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so our last three news items are, are really yeah you know, I, I mentioned we have over 30 over 35 i think uh, retro challenge entries um but not that many of them are really coco specific uh, there's a couple of beyond these that mention a coco i think maybe trying to curry favor with the judge <laughs> but <laughs> But uh, there were two or three that kind of seemed a little more focused on the Cocoa. So I'm going to go ahead and give them a little publicity here because, you know, yes. uh, judge it's my prerogative, I guess. And uh, so one of them is Simon Jonathan, Um And Simon, you know, is pretty familiar to people that have been in the community. Uh, he does a lot of kind of demo style uh, or demo scene style of coding for the Cocoa which is kind of amazing. Nobody else has really ever done that for the Coco. <laughs> he uh, entered the contest uh, this time with a, a a music tracker application he wants to do for the Coco. Uh, and this is a, essentially the, um, uh, the Amiga-style tracker uh, sound player uh, for the Coco. Uh, I think he's targeting... Um, well, he says coco one two or three you know it's uh it looks like a cool project his last blog entry was october 3rd uh so hopefully we can uh maybe we can rattle his cage by mentioning him on mentioning him on the podcast and get him back on track <laughs> um we'll see but it's a cool project and i uh, hope that uh, we get some software out of it when people can play uh mod tracker type of music on the cocoa that'd be pretty cool see the next person is a jeremy uh, harton uh jeremy i don't think he's done a great deal uh it looks like he was just sort of trying to find something to do uh, with his cocoa um mentioned uh, using his t- tape deck and uh and learning Drivewire 4. uh one of his blog entries uh, says he managed to load a tape version of scripts and save and load a file with audacity. Jeremy, I hope you're having fun. Uh, and, uh, hope you're learning something about your cocoa and, uh, uh, you know, maybe we can uh, get something cool out of, uh, the experience at least. All right. The, f- the last one was, a. Uh, this is the, The last, the late last minute entry that I mentioned earlier. (laughs) All right. So this is Derek John Evans. And we mentioned him, I think, in in the last episode for his win CMOC project, where he was, had pushed some stuff up to GitHub, where he had done some work on uh, enhancing CMOC. That's the c Lite compiler from Pierre Sarazan. Anyway, he's uh, got a project now that he's running. Um it says his goal is to get his 26-year-old color computer 2 connected to his win- Windows system so he can browse, load, save files. Now, of course, that sounds a bit like uh, DriveWire, <laughs> but uh, I guess he's looking for something that maybe is a little simpler um, than DriveWire uh, to use uh, as part of his development process, I guess. I don't know. We'll see where he goes with it. Uh, like I said, he's kind of a late entry, so he's only really only got a couple of weeks to work on the project. But, I don't know, hopefully it'll be cool. We'll be looking for uh, some cool results from that.
2: Yeah, it's sometimes interesting to see how people will approach the same problem differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: everybody has their own
0: ways. All right, well, that's the end of the news. Um, so we're going to take another little break, and uh, we'll be back to discuss some uh, listener feedback.
5: The Adventures of Coco Cat. Brought to you by the makers of Gimme Crisp, the tasty oat cereal featuring crispy magenta and buff o's. Now with three vitamins and herbs. And now, chapter nine, The Contract. Last episode, Mr. Perkins and Coco Cat were making their way to sign the new conference center contract for Coco Fest. Gee, Coco Cat. I can't wait until the next Cocoa Fest. This one ought to be a doozy. The only thing we have left to do is make it all official by signing the papers. Good afternoon, Miss Parker.
6: Hello, Mr. Perkins. Hello, Cocoa Cat. I'll let Mr. Norton know you're here.
5: Yes, Madge?
6: Mr. Norton, Mr. Perkins is here for his two o'clock appointment.
5: Send them right in. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Norton. We usually work with Mr. Yonkers. Is there some reason he's not available? Uh, he took sick at the last minute. Listen, we have to discuss the contract price. Gosh, Mr. Norton, we're really excited about Cocoa Fest. Yes, well, I've prepared the papers, but we have to discuss the cost. The cost, but... <coughs> I already agreed on the price with Mr. Yonkers last week. I have his official quote and everything. <coughs> Pipe down, you two. Listen, I know for a fact that more and more people are attending Coco Fest. That means more dough in your pocket, and that means I want some more in mine. I have sales quotas, you know. Calm down, Coco Cat. Listen, can we speak to Mr. Yonkers? I'm sure he'll clear up this
2: whole misunderstanding.
5: (laughs) No, I don't think so. You either agree to the increase or we're going to have trouble, Mr. Perkins. You shouldn't have said that. Get him off! Get him off! Ah! Ah! Get him off! Get him off me! That's him, officer. Oh, my goodness! Mr. Yonkers! Mr. Yonkers! What happened? This scoundrel tied me up so he could put the squeeze on Mr. Perkins. Come on, you. We're going downtown. I'm glad you're all right, Mr. Yonkers. I guess with all the excitement, I'll probably have to come back to sign the contract. Horse feathers! I have the real contract right here. You sign here, and the conference center is yours for Cocoa Fest. There you go, Mr. Yonkers. Thanks a lot. It's my pleasure, Mr. Perkins. Miss Parker, I'm going to have to go down to the police station now. Would you kindly show our guests out?
6: Oh, yes, sir.
5: And given all the excitement, you may as well take the rest of the afternoon off.
6: Oh, thank you, Mr. Yonkers.
5: Well,
2: Coco Cat, it looks like our work is done here. Say, Miss Parker, can we drop you
6: off anywhere? Actually, I could use a lift home. But before we do, how about a cup of coffee? There's a little place around the corner.
5: Why, that sounds swell, Miss Parker. How about you, Coco Cat?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> this concludes another fine adventure. Brought to you by the makers of Gimme Crisp, the tasty oat cereal featuring crispy magenta and buff O's. And now, to all of our Coco Cat Club members, get out your secret hexadecimal to ASCII decoders. This week's message 4 7 4 9 4 D 4 5 4 3 7 2 6 9 7 3 7 0 be sure to tune in next week for the adventures of
1: Coco Cat.
0: All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. <laughs> Part of the reason we do this podcast, of course, uh, of course, our main reason is to uh, to, to uh, promote Coco Fest and uh, uh, keep people excited and interested in the hobby. Um, but part of that, of course, is building community and hearing from people and, uh, keeping, uh, in contact with our listeners. And so we'd love to get feedback, however it comes, whether it's through email or Facebook or, um, you know, a few of you out there even can call us on the phone, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure we want to promote that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it has happened from time to time. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, so first up in our feedback, this section, we actually have a pretty good feedback section this month. Uh, first up is uh, Ed Snyder. Um, Ed Snyder's feedback from last month is, uh, I guess the two MC10 cards could get could possibly get confused. One is just a basic software slash RAM card with 32K of RAM and 16K of ROM. he um, goes on a bit. And then uh, these boards are not based on the MCX-128, by the way though I can see why it might be thought so since I produced a couple of runs of those. Uh, that's, uh, I think I said that I, I was thinking they were similar, uh, you know, um, a culpa in that case. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, however, there may be a version of MCX Basic included on the SuperCart firmware. So a little bit of a pre-announcement there, but for the SuperCart, may I include MCX Basic as an option? Um, MCX Basic, of course, is a... An extension of uh, MicroColor Basic, it kind of makes it a bit more like Extended Basic, I think, is the gist of it. There might be even more to it than that, but basically it's a better Basic for the MC-10. (laughs) Anyway, so there might be even more reason to buy the SuperCart firmware uh, when it becomes available. All right, the next up comes from, uh, is it Kieran Anscombe? I think that's Kieran um cheering kieran actually i'm not exactly sure i'm gonna say kieran (laughs) kieran if i'm mispronouncing your name uh, you know what to do Um, He says, I think I might have mentioned this on IRC, but as you're interested, it might be worth noting that XROR, Kieran, of course, is the author of XROR, by the way, um, that XROR does this semi-properly now. This is in reference to NTSC artifacting. So as of version 0.34, by having a variable color burst signal that's multiplied with a low-pass filtering of the signal to generate the color. So he just says, says, just pick simulated from views, slash composite rendering and I, this is in response to uh I had a, a little bit of a rant or whatever about uh, um how some of the emulators uh simulate uh, uh artifact colors in ways that not only do i not really remember i kind of have some difficulty in, in accepting <laughs> and so um, um at least here, what, uh, what uh, Kieran is saying is that he's got actual math- mathematics involved um, in in picking what colors get shown on the x roar screen. So this is, yet again, uh, uh, x roar kind of leading the way for technical accuracy uh, in terms of emulators. And uh, I did take a look at, at uh, the, his composite rendering or whatever, and... Um, it, You know, it's certainly, it looks similar. Um, but in my opinion, it looks more correct. Uh, your mileage may vary, I suppose, but, well, if math is on your side, then, uh, I think that gives me a nice warm fuzzy. How about you guys? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I like X-Roar. Uh, I think I mentioned that last time because it, uh, runs flawlessly on the Mac. Um, uh, and that, and I tend to do, it's a Cocoa 2 emulator, but also emulates the dragon, but, uh, I guess I do a lot of
3: Cocoa 2 stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, well, the Cocoa 2
3: is a good platform.
0: I think it is. I think it's underrated. I think for a long time, I think the Cocoa 3 was like it's like the, the most of the people left in the community were kind of Cocoa 3 bigots or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I,
2: I like the Cocoa 3 as well, but, I, uh, you know, I know we, we like to use the real hardware versus the emulators anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, I still have so much to learn on the Cocoa 2 that uh, – That's
0: keeping me busy. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next piece of feedback. This comes from Jim Gary. Uh, It says, uh, thanks again for a neat program. You're curious about the origin of of Robot R29 Puzzle Game. It is from an old Polish Atari magazine type-in. And uh, here's my blog posting on where I got it from. And he gives the link i guess you can call me a type in fanatic <laughs> <laughs> Great. yeah that's cool He sent the link that's yeah. cool yeah yeah okay thanks jim uh jim does track down all these kind of type in stuff and it actually kind of got me interested in some of those books i think i mentioned uh the david all uh simulations book or whatever I, i've been picking up some books like that to uh, myself um with the basic type in games. And so when I'm old and infirm in the, in the nursing home, at least I can have my cocoa there and I can uh, be typing in uh, basic games.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that
0: goes. <laughs> and the next piece of feedback comes from David Ladd. Uh, I think this is in response to, to we're talking about the bud pass assembler disassemblers and how they were, were DOS based utilities and how, You know, that uh, is enough to kind of turn me off um, since I don't use DOS or Windows Uh, anyway. um, David says, one of the things I do for all DOS utilities and games is I use DOSBox. It works really well, and DOSBox is in most Linux distros as well. So DOSBox is a cool program. And it does have good compatibility for running DOS-based stuff. And is and it's better even than just running DOS in a, in a window or whatever, because you actually can kind of control some things. You can kind of tell it to emulate um, different kinds of sound hardware or whatever. You have a lot more control over the simulation. Um, and so, so it's kind of cool for that. Uh, That said, it still is a separate environment. It doesn't integrate well with the command line in terms of, you know, like I'm a a Unix guy. I like to create long pipe uh, constructs (laughs) where I'll take eight different commands and pipe the output of one into the next one and filter and whatever else. And, it doesn't work well for DOS stuff uh, in that case, but but it is a good point. If you need to use DOS-based stuff, you know, just use the DOS box application, and uh, it'll solve a lot of problems for you. Moving on to our last piece of feedback, this one comes from Brett Gordon, but he's really talking about uh, William Astle. William, of course, is uh, the man behind the LWSM tool set. But uh, this is talking about, uh, I guess, episode 15 where I talked about some uh, disassembly, uh, code disassembly or whatever. It says, William Astle has an awesome video commentary on how he most masterfully, if I may opine, disassembled uh, Dungeons of Daggerath. And he has a link to the YouTube, and then his HG, which is which uh, means Mercurial, is so, a yeah, source control uh, system. And his HG or Mercurial repo with very nicely disassembled and extended Dungeons of Dragorath code, and so he's got another link there. So there, if you want further um, background info on disassembly, or if you want to know more just about Dungeons of Daggerath, uh there's a couple of links that uh, might help you. Learn. You gonna go check them out, Neil? Oh, I already have. Oh uh, yeah, William's a smart guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that concludes our feedback segment for this month. Um, like I said, we would love to hear from you. Um, send us email. Contact us on uh, the Facebook group. Let's say we're going to have to get Mike hooked in on uh, the feedback email as well, I guess. <laughs> But um, uh, reach out to us, however you have to to contact us, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us audio, send us emails, send us a link to your YouTube videos, whatever works for you. You know, let us know how we're doing, what information we're missing, and, you know, whatever else. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll be back with our host discussion.
6: You are listening to the Coco Crew podcast with Neil Blanchard and John Linville. Like how I switched those names around? I'm the original gamer Stevie Stroh, and I'm a Coconut. And if you're a Coconut too, then visit I'm a Coconut.com for all kinds of cool Cocoa links, including my YouTube gaming videos. So visit I'm a and long live the Cocoa. Back to you, Neil
0: and John. All right. Well, let's move on to our host discussion segment. So. Uh, I think we mentioned in the news segment um, kind of the impetus for this discussion where project kind of picked up on someone else's earlier project, but the, uh, the person responsible for the earlier project didn't find out about it until after the second project was released. Uh, created a, uh, well, a little bit of a dust-up, uh, some uncomfortable feelings or whatever. I think probably we can all... Uh, agree that ideally that would not happen that ideally you know everyone would kind of reach out and and make the proper introductions and and discuss things and whatever but you know we do live in a real world and sometimes things uh don't happen that way people don't exactly know who everyone is or uh sometimes people don't understand or don't know the origins of one project or another It's also somewhat similar to and I'm not saying this is not what happened here, but you know, if you had a situation where somebody had been working on a certain project and then someone else comes along later unaware of the first project and they kind of do the same kind of project on their own but differently or whatever, you know, this is sort of back to the stealing projects discussion I think we had a while back. There's a lot to discuss here. I guess, you know, one thing that would be, you know, if you had a fairly clear project you know with a license say, you know feel free to use this don't call me <laughs> then then if you if you got upset about somebody using it without calling you obviously that would sort of put you in the wrong but that's not what happened here uh, okay, I, don't, I assume there was no ill intent. I don't know. What do you guys think? What What would you have done different, or how do you think things should have been done different? Like I, say, I, I really don't think anybody intended any ill will. I don't know. Just let me throw it out there. What do What do you guys think? Somebody pick it up. Well, I
3: don't think anybody. You know, in this, especially in this case, I don't think they did it obviously on purpose. I mean, especially in the retro community, for example. I mean, it's not really. At least I don't think it's like a cutthroat business. You know, people aren't really trying to pirate or copy someone's project or put it out on something else. It's just, you know, miscommunication.
2: Right. Yeah, I I definitely think it's, uh, I think it's definitely some miscommunication. I don't, you know, it's, it's a little tougher too with, especially if you're looking at a, a really old program or something that's been around for several years, it's not like there's lots of metadata attached to an eight bit computer program like today. I mean, even if you have an author's name, what are the chances of you actually finding them and making connection with them? That can be a challenge.
0: Yeah. I know somebody who's worked on a project where they're essentially doing kind of a, what you might call a hostile port, (laughs) you know, they're kind of porting an old game to the Coco, but you know, they know that the, the author is out there of the original game is out there alive somewhere, but for whatever reason, unreachable. And they're kind of in a, in a, you know, they're kind of in a pickle or whatever. They've got the code kind of written and ready. But they're not willing to uh, to move on without the person's sort of consent. But then the person won't talk to them. <laughs> what do you do in that situation? Do you do you move on and hope for forgiveness? Uh, do you you know do you just not let your stuff be released because the other person who may be completely unaware of you just you know isn't bothering to answer their email? I don't know. I think in a case like that, it would come down to if you're charging and making money on it as
3: well. That might be another factor.
0: Yeah. And so I agree that that might be another factor. But then, so uh, to tie back to the the case at the start of the discussion here, you know, if you sell what's really a piece of hardware um, and then load it up with some software, I think this is part of the original discussion. Is you know you loaded on some software that was kind of freely downloadable, but you kind of made it sort of a selling point of of your hardware. Did you, were you, you know, you charge some amount for the package? How much of it goes for the hardware? How much of it was was only because people only spend it because of the software? Whether the software is supposed to be free or not? It, you know, it, it's, you, you could toss this around a lot of different ways. Well, I think in a retro community, computing community, uh, probably more
2: than anything monetary, obviously, is, is getting credit, which uh, you can't argue that, that people deserve credit for work that they did if especially if it's only credit um, but I, you know that probably resolves a lot of these issues is there's there just are so many opportunities where you just are ignorant of knowing who should get credit or acknowledging that but when you I, I think there's been a good experience when people find that out that they acknowledge it and that that's you know that smooths over a lot of the issues
0: that's right yeah no definitely um... You know, and I, and I think Ed has certainly tried to make good in that respect. Uh, uh, so again, we're not trying to to uh, adjudicate that specific situation. Uh, you know, I think everybody there is, is kind of calmly resolved out to to an amicable peace. Um, but just in general, if you do find yourself in such a situation where kind of a uh, a misunderstanding has occurred, and and uh, uh, you know, just I guess it's just to take the mea culpa and, you know, try to try to be as apologetic or whatever as possible, try to keep the peace. Um, now, I will say this doesn't always work out. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure you guys probably remember a, a certain uh, individual on the list a few years ago who um, became very angry at me <laughs> over the use of a certain graphics mode in uh, some programs you, you remember this you know what I'm hinting yes. at yes <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and no matter no no amount of apologizing uh or or trying to set the record straight was enough to satisfy that person um and uh you know I'll try to try to limit my speculation on on you know what that person's real problems were but <laughs> um you know, sometimes some people are not very reasonable about these things. And, uh you know, I guess at that point you just have to walk away. And, and if it was, if that had been the case of me actually shipping some product that they had developed or whatever, I guess I would have to turn that off and, and not do it. You know, but in this case, you're talking about knowledge of something that, uh, uh, you know, how to do something on a computer. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> completely different. It's a little bit different, Uh, although we do live in a world of software patents, I suppose. But uh, trying to patent uh, software on on uh, how to do something on the hardware of a computer from 30 years ago seems at best a bit questionable. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh,
2: I would just make one more addition as far as talking about etiquette is in this social media world that we live in, I think people often forget – that they, there is such a thing as private email. Yeah. Not, not that I'm, I'm faulting anybody. I mean, we've all been guilty of that. It's just easy to fire back immediately a conversation. We don't always realize that. Oh, everybody is seeing this, and and you can, you know, unintentionally call somebody out in front of everyone for for something that you know that they didn't even weren't even aware that they were doing.
0: Well, that's probably true too. Yeah. It's uh, probably best to. Uh, to avoid, you know, stirring the pot or, or whatever the term is, almost everyone involved is 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 going to be well-intentioned. Um, quite often people, you know, it's a misunderstanding or people may not understand exactly where things have come from or who did what project or when or why or under what terms. Um, you know there's only so many so many of us interested in retro computing so best if we can keep friendly terms with everyone <laughs> and i think that's where we are here too the, the i think everyone's on friendly terms and and things have largely been resolved uh hopefully we're not <laughs> prolonging any kind of conflict by discussing it you know it's just uh etiquette be, can be difficult uh, and just in the real life and you know given the fact that um probably a, a lot of uh, people doing retro computing are basically computer kind of people and computer people are not necessarily well known for their social skills. <laughs> that's, that's very true.
3: <laughs> yeah. we, we may have to be uh, for what we might do. You know, the, uh, well, the other thing I'd like to add in this discussion about, uh, you know, putting software on say a project like a game cartridge or, uh, you know, one of these boards here is, you know whether or not the game or the app was you know public domain or if it was sold. It's like you know even porting an old game from the past. You know if that game was actually licensed and you know sold for money, that's a big difference from you know say someone's project that was like you know I don't I don't know if the term shareware or public domain, but you know I think that that's a big difference as well. Yeah. Something that would come to mind is uh you know you take a game you like that's a Radio Shack sold or you know say Steve Bjork comes to mind. You know he made a lot of games that were you know, licensed and sold for profit. Well, if you just took those games and just put them on without asking, I think that would get a little dicey.
0: Yeah, it might. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much trouble anybody would really get in. Uh, Probably you would stop at a cease and desist kind of order, presuming that you actually complied with it, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) um, If you refuse to comply with a cease and desist, uh, I I would think you'd kind of start to be – playing with fire a bit but but like mike you was know, saying if they just get a mention so we they... had a, another situation that was not unlike this and i forget it's been seemed like it's been maybe a year or two maybe it's not even that long uh where uh someone had uploaded some software to the color computer archive that i think the software itself pretty much was freely available or maybe not but but the author had not put it on Color Computer Archive. Someone else did, right? And and so that kind of you know that's a little bit of a, a judgment call. Do you remember the situation I'm talking about? I do. Did, um, yeah. yeah. Was the software freely available, or was it pay pay it, only it, software? It, it was pay only. Okay. And I think that's well, sorry. Where... Okay. So that that I, that's more understandable where the author was upset about it.
3: Yeah. Um, the other thing that gets confusing in the retro community is that, you know, you have the term abandonware, you know, which a lot of companies do not really care, you know, for software, you know, preserving software and that sort of thing. But then, you know, in this community, you might have someone like, well, you know, so like Nick Marentis here, he just made this pop star pilot game. Well, even though this is on an old machine, you know, he is selling that game. So now if that game disappeared yeah. on the color computer archive, that's where it kind of gets. It's not right.
0: Yeah, well, that might be worth another discussion at some point. It's, true. You know, we have some amount of software that uh, that is being developed nowadays. It's, um, you know, homebrew or new brew or cocoa brew, some people call it, that uh, it's not old software. Uh, it's hobbyist software that nobody really, uh, I doubt if anyone really intends to make a lot of money off of, but some people are charging something for it including myself yeah, um,
3: for your time and-,
0: and for a variety of reasons but right um, at what point <laughs> does that kind of open itself up to being sort of you know if, if, if I stopped if I walked away today and uh, you know in a year could you guys be passing around farfall <laughs> or would it, need, would it need to be five years <laughs> somebody need to ask me? Yeah. Or, you know, would it forever be wrong without my permission? Um, would you need to wait another fifteen or twenty years? Would anybody care there anyway? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I think the the key there is that uh, you know, just like these situations I don't know. talked about when it's, when things have been uploaded to the uh, Color Computer Archive. I mean, clearly anything that any author that says no, that shouldn't be there uh you know, it gets taken off and that's that's the correct response.
3: Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, I'm I'm sympathetic to let's archive it and then if somebody really gets in a, a snit about it, then take it away. It's not exactly the same situation as loading it on on the cartridge or whatever. But it's similar.
2: The Cocoa community has done a pretty good job anytime these have come up. I think they all, for the most yeah. part, resolved. And people that are just totally unreasonable,
0: people can see that very easily. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord.
2: Yeah, we're talking about that Atari well, thing that blew up. Oh, it was just terrible. What's that? (laughs) I said I was just referencing an instance at the Atari world, nothing to do with the code. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so have we beat this one to death or is there more to say? I consider it beaten. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Okay. Well I guess we'll wrap up this discussion. We'll uh, we'll end this now and take a little break and be back with some of our uh, regular segments. That's a wrap. Lovely. All right, take care. Hold tight while we pause for the cause.
7: Okay, but why Tandy computers? In a word, quality. We do it all from custom-designed semiconductors to the finished product. Tandy business computers are manufactured in our own USA plants. We test and retest and test again to ensure one of the highest standards of quality in the industry. And Radio Shack provides total service and support.
5: I'm convinced. Tandy Computers at Radio Shack Computer Centers. In business, for business.
0: Alright, welcome back Cocoa Cruisers. This is John. Uh, breaking away from all the monotony of talking about silly things like games and people and news and that sort of stuff, and we're going to talk, have some fun talking about a technical topic. <laughs> uh, now, if for some reason that's not what strikes your fancy, uh, well, then I may have to encourage you to use the fast forward option on your listening device. Anyway, if you're sticking with us, uh, with me at least, uh, then uh, I'm going to talk a bit about some of the differences between DOS controllers for uh, the Dragon and the Cocoa. <laughs> Now this topic comes up once in a while you know are cocoa and dragon cartridges compatible uh, what does that mean well uh, so of course uh, the, the cartridge ports on the dragon and the cocoa are electrically the same they, they have the same pinouts the pins all do the same thing um, you know the cocoa 2 drops the, the 12 plus or minus 12 volts that the cocoa one has but the, the parts all pretty much do the same stuff. Um now um, the cartridges or the cartridge ports of course can have software on board in ROM. Cartridge based software is gonna have the same kind of dependencies as any other software between the Coco and the Dragon. So um software that uses a keyboard or serial board or something like that. They may seem to run and then not work quite right, you know, the wrong keys need to be pressed on the keyboard, for example. Um, but there are ways around that. For example, uh, if you use the ROM calls for accessing the keyboard, then uh, the, that all should work just fine. So it is possible to make ROM cartridges that work just fine between the Cocoa and the Dragon. Anyway, even if that's not, even if you don't take care of that, you, they'll still generally run. Uh, you just might have to press the wrong keys. So. <laughs> um, not ideal, of course, but they are pretty still pretty much compatible. But anyway, DOS cartridges are different even sort of beyond that. And Dragon and Cocoa DOS cartridges definitely are not interchangeable, at least not out of the box, shall we say. Um, so the differences uh, span both software and hardware differences. One of the biggest things is that the color basic implementations are different between the Cocoa and the Dragon. And so even though they're sort of running effectively the same code, or at least I think it's probably the same code, I haven't actually dug in, but it certainly uh, seems to be basically the same code. You can do funny things, which I think is what Microsoft did, in, in going in and in scrambling the order of the tokens for the commands. So you basically put the commands in in different order in a command lookup table and. And so then basic programs say between the two don't don't work or whatever um, but this that's not the only tables that there are to, to scramble, shall we say, uh, in the uh, in the ROMs And so I think um, well, I know that um, when it comes to the disk basic uh, on the cocoa, some of its functionality actually depends on uh, implementing RAM hooks. I talked about in an earlier episode, where you can actually um, put code uh, in place of uh, older code, or code in other ROMs will will call out through RAM, uh, and you can put your code in in those places, so that you can modify the way instructions work, and and that sort of thing. And so, um, for example, if you have instruction, or if you have uh, basic commands that uh, are have a similar uh, or somewhat modified structure uh, when running under disk basic, uh, such as the ones that access uh, file input and output. Part of that is implemented through loose RAM hooks. And so the point I'm getting at is that you know, when you scramble things around, the RAM hook that's useful in, in Color Basic for doing something probably is not the same RAM hook that's useful in uh, in the well, colour basic, I guess, on the Dragon, and <laughs> the one that's useful on the Cocoa is not necessarily the one that's useful on the Dragon, so that kind of gets in the way. Beyond that, uh, even if you could, you know, even if that, uh, well, so, so basically, what happens is, uh, if you stick a Dragon, um, a floppy card, which I actually have an original, you know, Dragon a floppy controller from the UK. And I'm pretty sure when I stuck it in my Coco, I basically got nothing. <laughs> um, because, you know, it kind of, you know, it doesn't know what it's talking to and thinks it's doing something and it's not. And so you end up with kind of an unusable mix of of the cartridge ROM with the onboard ROM. Even if for some reason that you could get past that, when, you know, some magic uh, uh, ROM with all the same RAM hooks or whatever... The um, DOS for the Dragon was uh, written by, uh, I'm not sure who, but not by Microsoft, and so therefore, um, you actually have a different set of commands. <laughs> so that would be a little bit unusual uh, in uh, trying to move to the to uh, the kind of the foreign uh, uh, DOS, uh, you know, if you're trying to use, say, a Dragon controller in your Cocoa or, or vice versa. Um, and they even use different file formats um, for for program files and that sort of thing. So there's some pretty big differences there. But the main one, of course, comes back to you know the, the scrambling with the hooks and and uh, and tokens and that sort of thing, so that you're just not going to get something that boots up and works. It's just too much of a Frankenstein. <laughs> But beyond that, <laughs> even beyond the software differences, there are actually are hardware differences and that need to be accounted for um, so, you know so that uh you know you might be thinking, well, I could just pop the software from from uh the dragon controller into the t- the, fl- the tandy floppy controller and be fine well no, that's not going to work either um the main well the kind of the biggest difference or the most obvious difference is uh is addressing the hardware so there's basically two things on the uh, pieces of hardware on the floppy controller uh, card one is the floppy drive controller chip itself uh and then there's another uh, there's a register basically that that uh uh said turns options on and off it's uh, uh it, it controls which drive select you're using at a given time um that's kind of its most obvious uh, uh, use, but it also uh, enables some of the stuff I'm going to talk about in in just just a second. The other thing that's different once you get past the addressing difference is uh, the way um, uh, the two the two DOSes handle uh, being fast enough to. Take uh, the data stream off the drive. <laughs> so basically, the drive, the disk drive when it's reading in data, and we're reading in a sector from the floppy disk, is actually running pretty fast in terms of how fast the Cocoa can run. And so, uh, you know, you need to be able to get those those bytes in as they come, or else you're just going to miss them. So it's effectively a a real time problem, and so to get around and in the code, the you know the normal operation for something like that would be to say, check a status bit, read the the uh, data register, store that data into memory a memory buffer somewhere, and then go back and read the next the the status register for the next piece of data, and just keep going through that right. Well, it turns out that. Even a tight loop like that is not good enough. (laughs) And so, you had to come up with some uh, alternatives. And and both the Dragon and the Cocoa versions are pretty cool ideas. Uh, And I'm not really sure if one's superior to the other. You probably could poke a few holes here or there for specific situations. Um, But they're both pretty clever uh, uses of the computer architecture and... A melding of uh, hardware and software. So, um, so the floppy drive controller has a data request line that, uh, with the the commands that that handle moving data between the controller and the controller chip and the the machine itself, uses it. There's a, a line that signals back, you know, when data is available or when data is being requested. And, uh, so that piece of hardware is made use of, um, and so the Cocoa uh, version, the, the, the controller basically hooks that to the halt line that's available on the cartridge connector. <laughs> and so, um, the machine, when you go to, to read or write to the floppy, uh, the machine sets everything up, and... And then it enables this halt line signaling, and you know, basically, halts itself <laughs> um, just after it's issued the data the, the data access command to the uh, floppy controller. So when the floppy controller uh, has the data available or is ready to receive the the data from the machine, um, this data request line will flip the other way, and so it'll turn off the halt, allowing the machine to proceed. The machine proceeds by moving, you know, to actually read data or write data. It reads data from one place and writes it to the other and then loops around. And so it's all very carefully set up so that just the right amount of instructions are in place or whatever to account for any special timings. Um, And and so... um, the machine basically puts itself in an endless loop of, of say, you're reading a sector. It reads a sector, it reads a, a byte of data from uh, the floppy controller, and, um, and then writes it to the buffer, and then loops to to, to read the next byte of data. And if you just look at the code, you'd think you just went into an endless loop. Um, but because of this halt line signaling. Um, it at least puts uh, you know a a, uh, a a limit on how fast that runs. Uh, it puts it in sync with how fast the um, the floppy controller uh, makes data available or requests data f- uh, from the machine. Um, so what happens then at the end um, is uh, the floppy uh, drive controller chip has an an interrupt line uh, of its own that then is tied back to the non-maskable interrupt line that's also available through the cartridge port. And so when the uh, command sequence completes, uh, the floppy drive controller actually issues this non-maskable interrupt, which um, before it started all this stuff, of course, the the DOS software had to, to prepare for. And so... When it hits that non-maskable interrupt, uh, the processor um, executes, uh, you know, the non-maskable interrupt handler, um, which has been set up to know that, uh, you know, how to react. And it basically means that it's the end of the data operation. It, you know, basically it just pops the return address that otherwise it would have returned back into that endless loop. And then it does its return back to the uh the function that called <laughs> the beginning of the of uh, of the data access command begin with <laughs> now, hopefully you're all still awake for all that but uh so that's a pretty neat trick with the n m i uh the n m i of course is is basically the only thing that can take precedence over the halt line uh being held and so um um you know, it it breaks in and and uh, you know tells the the uh, the CPU to get back to work basically. <laughs> um, now, so the dragon, um, like I said, it does something a little different. It doesn't have the hardware connected to the halt line, um, but instead it connects back through the cart line, and the cart, of course, is designed as, as an interrupt line. And it connects back to the PIA that is able to generate the fast IRQ signal, and so the um, still the data request uh, line from the floppy drive controller on the Dragon hooks back instead of instead of going to the halt line now, it's going to the cart line, uh, which generates a fast IRQ uh, signal to the CPU. But what the CPU has done is disabled the the IRQ signal and instead he uses a sync instruction and the sync instruction uh, basically just waits in place for the next interrupt to happen which could be either an IRQ or a fast IRQ or I guess presumably or an NMI Um, and uh, so it just it's almost like it halts on that one instruction similar to the halt uh, signal being used and so so just as the halt line is released as the data comes in on the COCO uh, on the Dragon, uh, the, the uh, fast IRQ is triggered as the data comes in and the, uh, the Cocoa is already ready for it, having uh, executed the sync instruction. And so that lets it go and execute the next bits of data, which of course is the data pump there where it reads data from the controller and writes it to the buffer or reads it from the buffer and writes it to the controller, whichever direction it's going. Uh, and then it, it does that and then pops back around to the next sync instruction. And then, once again, um, uh, the NMI signal is used uh, coming from the floppy drive controller to signal the end of the operation. So, both machines are doing something fairly similar, but kind of (laughs) different. Different enough that the two pieces of hardware don't really work with the same software. (laughs) So... um, so like I said, that's the the biggest reasons why, or um, uh, uh, that's the reason why the, the DOS cartridges are not interchangeable between Dragon and the Coco. Uh, not only is it uh, you know interfacing with a different set of Basic, uh, a different int- implementation of Basic, even though they're both from Microsoft. Um, you know the, the uh, uh, even if you got beyond that the the software has to deal with the different kinds of hardware. Um, and like I said, these these data pump features are intricately linking features of the hardware to uh, to this specific piece of software. It's kind of cool, it's kind of a hack and it's beautiful in that way. <laughs> okay, so with that in mind, what would you do if you did want or if you if you were stuck with a dragon and no floppy controller, which a lot of people in the United States are because a lot of cocoa people in the United States have picked up Tano dragons um which were available um, for sale brand new out of the box uh, uh, may still be certainly until fairly recently if not still if again they might still be available um but that source did not provide floppy controllers and of course tandy floppy controllers are not too hard to find and in some ways might be easier than ever since then a lot of people nowadays don't want floppies at all <laughs> so therefore aren't using their floppy controllers um, so you know what can be done can you make a floppy controller for the for the coco work on the dragon or vice versa so uh, short answer is that yes it's at least somewhat possible but how do you go about it so if you wanted to hack up something um, Uh, Starting with the software, probably the the easiest thing to do is take uh, the DOS ROM that's sort of native to the machine you want to work on, and then hack it to support the hardware on the controller that you're able to get. (laughs) And uh, uh, so the good news is um, this work has already been done, at least in terms of getting uh, uh, the Dragon DOS, or DOS+, I guess it is, Uh, working on a a Tandy controller. I'm not sure if there's any way to get to the Cocoa uh, Is working on a Dragon controller, but at least over here Dragon controllers are a lot harder to find. They don't exactly seem to be falling out of trees in Europe either. (laughs) But anyway, uh, that can be done. You basically can change that little data pump section uh, I was talking about of the ROM to use the alternative uh, hardware access and that should mostly work. Um, of course, you also have to account for the, the addressing differences between the chips or between the cards, um, but that's nearly trivial. So, there it can be done. Uh, we'll I think uh, we probably can find a link to at least uh, someone who's done that and probably stuff that in the show notes. Beyond that, if you wanted to get to, uh, a little deeper and would we'll do some hardware stuff, well, one thing you could do that's sort of a hardware hack, maybe... Uh, oh, sorry, before I get into the hardware stuff, if you do hack, um, say, you know, you hack a Tandy, or say you hack a Dragon DOS to work with a Tandy controller, um... That'll work for a lot of stuff, certainly work for BASIC. Um, it probably is not going to work, or almost certainly will not work, uh, if your application or game decides to access the floppy controller directly. Um, this is the same problem that people have with emulators, or using hard drive controllers on the Cocoa, um, or, or whatever. It's just a, kind of a hard reality. uh you know, if, you, if you're just hacking software, you have to hack all the software. <laughs> um, how big an issue that is, I'm not really sure. Um, they're, they're, uh, one thing I noticed, at least if you're if you're trying to uh, run Dragon software, is a lot of Dragon software seem to have primarily been cassette based anyway. But in, in which case, why do you need the floppy controller? I don't know, I'm rambling now. so <laughs> Just wanted to mention that, that uh, it, you may not be solving all of your problems if you just use a purely software solution uh, to making this work. So, moving on to a hardware hack. Well, one hardware hack that's still basically a software hack is you could have a a, uh, a switchable ROM. You could do a ROM replacement um With a switch to access just with a switch just controls one address line on your ROM, and you basically have a double-sized ROM, with a sort of a two-in-one where you have the Tandy ROM and the Dragon ROM on on one controller, probably a Tandy controller um... and then your controller would work both with your your cocos and with your dragons um, and like i said with the, the the caveat on the dragon that if you try to run dragon software that directly accesses the floppy drive it, it's not going to work and that probably would include say OS 9 on the dragon uh... so uh, if you try a hack like that you know your mileage may vary that may or may not be um, exactly what you want to do um now if you wanted to actually hack say a, a Tandy controller to actually be hardware wise a dragon style controller um there's you know two, two main things you need to do and that's one is you need to account for the addressing difference where um the uh, the the difference between where the floppy uh, uh controller chip and the the um, the option or drive select register are like I say they're in reverse places between Tandy and Dragon um, that's a fairly simple hack to pull off uh, changing where addresses are um, Yeah, I won't go into further details if, you, if you're capable of doing it that's probably all you need to, to know is to be reminded that, <laughs> that it could be done so switching the addresses should be fairly simple the other part where you, you're gonna have to switch um, basically whether the data request line from the the floppy drive controller is you being used to drive the halt line or the cart line that doesn't sound very difficult at first. It sounds like you know first impression would be that you just would cut a line and put a switch in and cross them over depending on which way the switch is set. Um, if you try to pursue that definitely you're going to need to take a close look at the schematics for the floppy controllers. Um, it looks like uh, i know the um um the the tandy controller has to use a a little extra hardware to make sure that the halt line gets disabled um when uh um when the the data operations are completed and there might be some other uh, more subtle things involved um so your mileage may vary as to, to for how difficult it will be if you try to hack the hardware and when it gets to switching the halt and the cart lines it may not be hard at all it might be something you could just switch around um... I didn't look deeply enough into it because it's not a project I've actually done um... so again it's an idea it could be done some amount of hardware applied <laughs> some amount of hardware and cleverness um, but you know your mileage may vary so good luck let me know if you do it love to hear about it alright so let's say you are in this situation you've got a Tano Dragon you're in the US you you've covered in tandy floppy controllers but you can't get a Dragon floppy controller to save your life so what do you do? well it turns out that the Cocoa SDC device that has come on the market over the past few years uh, which is a cool device that writes to SD cards uh, but on the software side basically looks like a floppy controller um, well it turns out there's some support in there for looking like either a Tandy floppy controller or a Dragon floppy controller um, so if you really need a floppy controller for your Dragon you can just go and use a Cocoa SDC. Um, you will have to load it with um, you know a dragon version of dos that uh has the commands added to make the cocoa s d c useful um so <laughs> which is sort of like the dragon equivalent of the what was it s d c dos or whatever that that's being shipped with cocoa s d c that's that uh is for the cocos um anyway no surprise there um You know, you're going to have to have something that can control, you know, the internal features for selecting different disk images and that sort of stuff. But um, if you need something for your Dragon, uh, that's probably one of the best possible alternatives. Uh, Certainly, it's something that's been popular in the Cocoa community. Um, So anyway, if you're interested in uh, a, a Tandy controller that's been modified to work uh, with the dragon, either in a uh, switch over completely, or in a switchable, where it works with both of the Cocoa or the dragon, depending on which way you flip the switch. Uh, these are actually available right now. Um, Ian Maverick, who I think uh, well, I know, is one of the hosts of the uh, Trash Talk uh, 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 podcast. Um, uh, he has them. I've seen them available on eBay. Uh, he has a website up, available as well, and he's pricing them. Uh, I think uh 110 for uh, the one-way conversion to dragon and 120 or maybe it's 130 for the switchable version. Um anyway, uh Ian's a great guy. I'm sure he does good work. Um you know, if you're interested in that uh and having that, uh, you, you probably want to uh, contact him. Uh, Like I said, I I think that that's going to be fine until you try to use something on your dragon that actually accesses the hardware physically. Because I think all he is doing is a ROM swap uh, with a a hacked ROM. Um, I don't think he's actually switching the hardware itself. Um, So... You know, how useful that is, well, your mileage may vary. And, of course, the final option is uh, to build your own. And uh, either either build your own, uh, like I said, with a switchable ROM, or, you know, you could take up my challenge there on uh, <laughs> the more advanced hacking where you hack out uh, the addressing uh, and then hack out the switch to, between the cult and the cart lines and uh, let's see if you can make that work. I would uh, love to hear from somebody who can make that work, uh, hacking one of the Tandy controllers uh, uh, to to physically be a Dragon controller, you know, using the cart line instead of the halt line. Um, That'd be really cool. I haven't seen anybody who claims to do that that might already be out there, and I'm just not finding it. say the dragon guys tend to go off and hide on their own website sometimes <laughs> so some of their cooler stuff gets a little harder for me to find but uh well that's about it That's probably plenty of talking um but uh you know, so there's your answer basically uh in general coco and dragon cartridges are electrically compatible they should plug in and work for some definition of work um there are differences between the hardware uh... that are you'll often see in terms of you know keyboard differences or whatever there are ways around that if the software is written to account for that um... or but even if they don't account for that quite often the software will still run and in terms of putting stuff up on the screen or whatever Uh, you might have to hit a different key than what's specified you know a W instead of an h or i don't know exactly what the mappings are but you know, so that's not so good, but it it might be useful in some circumstances. I don't know. Um, it's also the kind of thing that's not too hard to hack around if you're convenient, or if you're uh, handy with a, an EEPROM uh, reader <laughs> and the disassembler. Anyway, but beyond that, DOS cartridges definitely are not directly interchangeable between the the Coco and the Dragon. Um, there are some. I don't know if profound. They're almost subtle in some ways. uh, But definitely distinct differences. Um, The software is different. and The software has to be different because the the hardware is different. Um, There are some ways around all these things. um, Might make for two or three different variations on cool projects. um, But that's what they are. They're projects. Um, If you are looking for a floppy controller for your dragon, there are some options available. Whether or not they solve all your problems will probably depend on what your problems are. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, remember, as I like to say, um, you can only be young once, but you can be retro forever or even Coco forever. All right. (laughs) Talk to you later.
6: Remember the first time you used a computer? The Cocoa impacted many lives and is still impacting lives today. Cocoa Fest isn't about the collective. It's about the individual. It's about you. Your story, your experience, your passion. What are you waiting for? Haven't you waited long enough? Join us at the Cocoa Fest in Lombard, Illinois, April 22nd and 23rd, 2017, Cocoa Fest. become part of the equation.
0: Welcome to our uh, roundtable session. Uh, the theme of this talk here is uh, that it's six months until Cocoa Fest. Actually, you know, to the weekend, I think we're right, six months out from Cocoa fest uh, 2017 in, uh, or in April of 2017. The thought here is just to get um, some Cocoa folks together, uh, talk about um you know, what projects they're working on, maybe what products they're, uh, preparing. And it can rumble from there to, you know, things going on in the community and, and no just about anything, really. <laughs> We've got, uh, you know, four or five people on the line here. That's uh, pretty good, I think. And who wants to drive this? And Neil, Mike, you got any thoughts on, uh, an agenda to, to uh, pursue here, or, uh, you just want to do, uh. Or talk around or what? And why don't you guys tell us what you guys have been up to today? I know uh, you've been off for some retro goodness. We had a good morning, actually. We
3: started off. I uh, went for breakfast. And uh, I took Mike to a, a reuse-it center here in my area. And they got a whole bunch of retro computer goodness in there.
2: Yeah, it was a good time. We had uh, They had all kinds of uh, 80s computers there, as well as uh, old radios, uh,
0: very old televisions. They had some Marconi televisions. They're pretty neat. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, you guys pick up any new uh, ideas for uh, Cocoa Fest projects? Uh, <laughs> any new acquisitions um, yeah, for uh, getting ready for Cocoa Fest or anything like that? Um, I've been, this is Mike,
2: I've been brainstorming a little bit, but uh, I'm not ready to divulge what it is.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool. Um, anyone else? Uh, Nick, uh, I know, is uh, on the line. I hear he has some sort of new product release that everyone's talking about. You want to say anything about that, Nick? <laughs> uh,
4: yes. Uh, i just finished uh, posting all the orders for Popstar Pilot, so they're all uh, in transit and uh, should be re- should be um, arriving anything from in ten days' time to ten years. Who knows how with the postal service? How reliable? It is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a quite a big job. The last two months I spent just uh, packing up all the all the, putting the packages together, writing the CDs, writing the floppy disks, managing the database of uh, customers and all that. And anyway, I'm I'm at the, I, I've I've
0: finished, so now I can take a rest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How many floppy disk uh, versions did you end up copying out? Uh. Well,
4: it's about 50 have gone out uh, packages altogether. Half of those were floppy disks. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was surprised, yeah. I think I, I get the impression that some people were collecting, uh, well, ordered the floppy disk one because it's a collectible. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Even though most people have got access to a, um, to a, whether it's a Coco SDC or DriveWire, I think having the real five and a quarter inch disc, whether it's blank or not, probably doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as the yeah. disc that says Pop Star Pilot, that's that's a collectible. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. And uh that's... it was quite a drama for me actually because uh, I, I before I started I had about ten boxes of uh as new unopened floppy disks um, to use so I thought there won't be any problem and besides there shouldn't be that many people ordering it as it turned out there was a lot of people ordering it and most of my disks were unreadable so I was struggling to find uh, enough disks to um, to actually um, distribute uh, the five and a quarters on. Uh, Eventually after a a long time formatting reformatting doing backups verifications i did find enough disks to at least ship out all the floppies as operating disks so that's done but uh it's certainly something to think about in the future because you know five and a quarter inch disk media is is, is it's got a very limited future as far as distribution goes the discs that you find are not brand new. They're not. They're not in good quality, and they're they're just not reliable. So, yeah, there has to be a better way to distribute software. So I, I chose the CD, um, but hopefully everyone's got access to uh, one a CD drive and two can transfer a DSK to a color computer. Yeah. well, c-
2: Congratulations on. Uh on the game and getting it out it's everybody's looking forward to it it's going to be great yeah. when receive those and i guess next time uh for your next release you just need to send a disc label
4: <laughs> yes that's right i did consider that I, 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 originally i thought i'll just send an envelope with an instruction manual uh i can email the dsk and i can send a label like you say but then I thought, well, what's the what's the fun in that? You <laughs> know, it just <Right. laughs> doesn't. It's not real if it's not on a real on real media, on, in a real box or packaging of some sort. It just it just isn't the real thing. So I just ended up going for a DVD case with a CD and a floppy disk.
2: Reach out to us next time because we, we uh, verbatim still makes brand new discs here in the states.
4: Do they actually manufacture them or are they just old stock?
2: They still actively manufacture uh, five and a quarter and eight inch.
4: Wow. Oh, and eight inch, gee. Maybe I should distribute one on eight inch as well just for laughs. <laughs>
0: oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder what the quality is. I mean, I guess um, I've had, I've heard it asserted that. The, the new diskettes you could get in the mid or late 90s were not as good as the diskettes you could get in the late 80s or early 90s. I wonder if that just was a temporary thing or if it's somehow carried through to, I mean, I would have to think if you're still making new diskettes today, you've got to be servicing a very specialized customer set. Um, maybe those uh, uh, U.S. nuclear missile silos uh, <laughs> we heard about a few months back. Yeah. Um, Hopefully they're putting their best quality work on those, but I guess it's hard to say.
4: Yeah, it hard to tell. Uh, a lot of the discs I threw out were were actually verbatim, so. <laughs> and, uh,
0: yeah, so even the uh, even the, the optical media that you chose, uh, that's probably got a a time stamp or an expiration date on its uh, <laughs> lifespan yeah, as
4: well. That's right. Well, they're mm-hmm. CDR, so they're not actual press discs. Um, so CDRs have a limited life as well, but hopefully people will, uh, back up their files before they do, uh, fade,
0: <laughs> but yeah. if they do,
4: uh, if they do lose it, well, they just have to email me and I'll send them a DSK. That's all right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, it looks, looks like-, like.
4: Yeah.
2: Jim O'Keefe just joined, uh, Jim, he's got a mode set up. So you have to press the space bar while you talk. Can you hear us, uh, Jim? Jim's on a cell phone, so I'm not sure how he's going to talk. And
8: That's, that
2: looks like uh,
0: Wally just joined.
8: So who, who who all's on?
0: Yeah, there's Wally. Wally, yeah, of course, John's here. Uh, Neil and Mike are here. Nick Morintis is on. Uh, John Strong is on. It looks like Jim O'Keefe is on, but I uh, haven't heard him speak yet. And uh, we've also got uh, Mark Overhauser uh, is on. Mark, uh, I know you're from Facebook, but uh, have you ever been to Cocoa Fest?
6: No, I haven't yet. I've only been doing cocos for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah. Do you think you might make Cocoa Fest this year?
6: Uh, Probably not. Mainly cost.
0: Yeah. I understand. Well, I definitely encourage you to come out and join us. It should be fun. Um, but Wally, we'll get back to to you now. Uh, what have you been up to? Are you? Uh, I assume we'll see you at Cocoa Fest again this year. Well, I hope
8: to hope to be there. Uh, I uh, I can't remember the last time I missed one, but um, I'm hoping to be there.
0: You uh, uh, made Neil the beneficiary of a deal he couldn't refuse on on your cocoa system last year. Do you oh, have yeah. more cocoa stuff at home? or?
8: Uh... <laughs> I, I do, uh, and I'll probably, if I can get my act together, I'll probably have another uh, cocoa setup similar to last year uh, that I can bring. Um, I accumulated so much stuff through the years. It's unbelievable. And uh, I do have a 6309 uh, cocoa. Uh, set up, and uh, if I can if I can get all that together, I'll bring it uh, this year and um, maybe put it up for grabs.
0: Well, yeah, well, that sounds cool. <laughs> now, uh, so so while you're in Ohio, right?
8: Yeah, Cleveland.
0: Yeah, you uh, familiar with Chillicothe?
8: <laughs> yeah, that's down by the river. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's down in the southern part of the state.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. There. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if uh, you've heard, but we're uh, we're looking at having an, a a an alternative or another uh, Cocoa Fest like event next year in October, uh, in the Chillicothe area. So hopefully you'll be able oh. to join us for that as well.
8: Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's just a uh, a short uh, short. Well, not short, but it's a lot shorter than Chicago. That'd be great, and I tell yeah. you, that's a very interesting part of the state down there. Um, that's a lot of a lot of Indian country down there. There's uh, very interesting stuff in that area of Ohio.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I know, uh... very
8: nice area. Very nice area.
0: We probably need to do more research on the local area uh, there. Um, I know, uh, as far as driving through it, it uh, it's a, sort of a lot of nothing on the road, and then a town, and then a lot more nothing, and then you start to yeah. get into Dayton and some of the other areas that are a little more populated.
8: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a nice, very yeah, very rural. Um, and it's uh you're starting to get into the hills down there. But it's uh yeah, that's a that's a nice area.
9: Far from Hocking Hills.
8: Well Hawking Hills, uh that that's a gorgeous area. That that maybe is the nicest area in Ohio. But that is just beautiful there. But uh this is more um uh you don't have the gorges and um the, the you know the valleys like you have at hiking hills and uh, the, the cave type things. Uh, this is uh, it's, it's, it's a very nice area and uh, a lot of uh, historic stuff down there uh, with the ancient Indians. Uh, very very interesting stuff. And there's uh, Indian burial grounds in that area. It, it's it's pretty neat. <laughs>
0: Well, that's cool. You know, we may need to, to uh, come up with a, a, a visitor's guide or something <laughs> before yeah. we get what, to, uh, to
8: our... What prompted you to choose that area?
0: Uh, well, basically, it turns out it's uh, essentially halfway between me and Neil. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's uh, kind of a, uh, pretty close to where I've been making a way stop uh, when I go to Cocoa Fest. And uh oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of learned about it anyway. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but oh, that'd
8: be uh good. I uh, definitely definitely uh hit that.
0: Yeah. Well so yeah, we definitely love Cocoa Fest and we don't want to take anything away from it, but uh, we're kind of eager to maybe have some other events to go to and uh, so we're looking at that. We're going to call it Tandy Assembly, or at least that's the working title. And uh-huh. uh, it'll be a, uh, a Tandy-oriented event. We're hoping to bring in some of the Z80 folks. And if we can find uh, Pocket Computer folks or uh, or uh, Tandy 1000 folks or whatever to join us as well, I think we'd uh, like to welcome them, and, uh, then welcome them into the fold as well.
8: Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, that'd be uh, be a lot of fun. That'd be great. Mm. And uh, just halfway between Chicago Fest. So, yeah, that'd be great.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, John Strong, we haven't brought you in much to to talk. Um, What are you doing uh, now? Are you working on something for Cocoa Fest? I know you've got a couple of projects you've been talking about.
9: Uh, Yes. Uh, First of all, you know, Uh, I hope to have at least one controller project done for the Cocoa Fest, Uh, maybe more, but at least something for a new controller for people to do. Uh, Of course, I'm continuing to do the the different cases for different projects, and that happens all year round. (laughs)
0: Are people contacting you uh, in advance when they design something uh, or are they just designing the hardware and then hoping you'll design the case for it?
9: Well, it's (laughs) starting to do in advance now, okay? Uh, Yeah. Sometimes not quite enough in advance. Uh, But Jason, uh, with his MIDI pack, uh, I did get it before anybody else, but then I've had some issues with the printer and plastic, so uh just a couple minor ones to solve so that should be make an announcement that was available uh real soon i was hoping maybe this weekend to be able to make that announcement but uh, i had to go get some more plastic and run out of plastic and uh so uh we have those projects going on on that there uh i have hopefully two new games uh at the minimum for uh Cocoa Fest is my goal. Uh, one, yeah, one I've talked about a little bit and sh- previewed and showed. I need to get set down and just focus on that and actually get it finished. And, and then I have another one that, uh, again, Neil is my uh, play tester on it. Um, really don't want to talk about it too much yet because uh, – I want to kind of be a surprise closer to it, what the actual game is. But I will say it's not a puzzle game, which is a lot of my games have been. It is an arcade game. It is a, I would guess it'd be called, uh, I would consider it a platformer. Would you agree, Neil?
3: Yes, definitely.
9: Okay. And uh, I've just finished uh, First Pass on the layout, not First Pass, but it's a hopefully final pass on the background graphics. And working a little bit on the on the sprites, and just started coding on it. it may start on uh, a level editor for uh, this weekend if I get enough time. It will be a separate level editor because the particular game doesn't make sense to be able to uh, edit the levels in game. <laughs> and again, I'm targeting a cartridge, so that also makes uh, level editors a, a bit more difficult to do to really make that work you're going to have to put on extra uh, non volatile memory on the on the cartridge
0: sure sure that and, makes sense
9: and i don't think this game is really needs that okay so i'm not looking on doing that for this particular game i don't think it's really needed uh, there's some games i definitely think we, we're going to need to do that in the future but this particular one's not but i think it's it's going to be a good change from uh the puzzle games i've done and uh we have to be a little bit tighter in my code <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and, you know puzzle games yeah i've got some unique stuff but the, the focus of the puzzle games is on the puzzle logic okay and getting that down and i do uh write a lot of the routines as if they have to be a really fast arcade game but I don't really go through and optimize the code in a puzzle game simply because I, I don't need to. Because sure. it's it's simply running faster than what it, it needs to run anyway. So uh, no use of spending that extra time in you know, optimizing it uh, when it's not needed and when to do another project. Uh, in this case, it may need to do some optimization um, some of the sprites are going to be pretty big, so I'm going to have to see what i going to do with that. Of course, I do have a a sprite compiler, but uh, might have to rework on that a little bit to do that. But I I think people will enjoy it. Yeah, I'm it, sure they will. It, it, it's, it's not it's not and Nick, it's not going to be a, a. I don't think it's as intensely challenging game, uh, in the same way that your Pop Star Pilot is. on pushing stuff. Uh, see anything that I'm doing really? Outstandingly new, or are really a lot of tricks being pulled in. I know Nick did a lot of things with uh, the palettes and switching and, and things like that. And this is not quite that complicated a game. Right? It's, I think it's a fun game. I think it's a game that we need to have on the the color computer, just to say it can be done. Cool is going to be
2: on a cartridge.
9: Yes, the, the goal is right now is for it to be on a cartridge.
0: And, and you're targeting the Coco
9: Three. Yes, I'm targeting the Coco Three. Cool. And so I've been running some of the numbers and what it might take, and I think my sprites are going to be the biggest memory grabbers. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Because one character is pretty big. That's kind of the the issue there. If I make sure I make that move fast enough. It is basically my version of another game that exists out there in Machines. So, again, Nick, you did totally original. Great job. Uh, this will have maybe some original t- twists to it, but when you look at it and you play it's oh okay, that's basically X game for the color computer, which is okay. we need both and <laughs> uh, True. and so that's kind of the the other game is getting it's targeted for the uh, a cartridge and actually runs now from a cartridge. I just need to finish uh, the levels and the title screens and the controls and I have a a dr. Mario clone and, oh, cool. Uh, and I just need to to sit down and finish it. Uh, I was thinking about putting Orchestra 90 on the the card that people have already made some Orchestra 90 clones, and so uh, I don't think maybe I need to do that now. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got some cool ideas for that one for the game card. Uh, If I can pull it off on my 3D printer, that will be kind of really unique. That's, that's the problem with doing something cool. You have to come up with something cooler the next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That definitely can be a problem.
9: Uh. And, and so I, you know, I really think, you know, the, the Bomb Squad was a good, cool game cart. Uh, I think the carts you guys make are cool too. It's just uh, my cart fit the game. And so that's kind of, you know, the reason for doing it.
0: But, sure, sure.
9: And, uh, I, like I said, I think I have some ideas if I can pull it off and if I can get my printer to print it, I do have a little vintage. I did invest in another 3d printer for the stuff. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, with the uh, mini MTI, I've already shipped 15 cases to Ed and he's got, you know, almost 35 people on the waiting list. So uh, (laughs) it takes a lot of time and one, one printer, it, it, takes a long time to print all those. We went ahead and bit the bullet and bought one and the good part is is it actually seems to do a much better print than my previous one in some cases and, huh, well that's
0: good uh, technologys I, improving
9: right oh in fact you know what we're talking about the joystick stuff uh, I've been trying to make a little handle for the little thumbstick uh, joystick control uh, modules that you find out there on the web. Yeah, and when I did it with my old one, it's like, oh, there's this big groove in the side. Well yeah, I'll never you know, I might be able to make one for me, but it's not an quality I can sell. <laughs> with the new one, the big groove's not there. And <laughs> so, so it it looks much much nicer. It does that, it's got an extra fan on there that helps some overlap and hanging. The bad point is it's another learning curve because it's using different software within the machine. And therefore, you know, I can tell which machine it was printed on because it does things differently. So still not ready for prime time, but closer than what it was previous. And uh, but opens some possibilities up for me that at least make it easier to do some things that I'm I'm hoping to do from the coco They 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 called me this morning and said they were doing it. So I missed the first part of that.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. That was Jim. Uh, I was unmuting him to see if he had something to say, but I think he's talking to somebody else. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. I'm mocking you, Jim. Are you there? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Jim. Sorry, I had you muted because there was some background noise on your hey, line. Hey, you uh,
7: there.
0: Yep. Yep. Can you hear me?
7: I can hear you. Yeah. I'm right. not. I'm not used to all this uh, fancy stuff. You know.
0: That's high tech stuff.
7: Winning four to nothing
0: in the five in the, <laughs>
7: fifth, in the, in the, in the fifth inning, so <laughs> all right, so they to, go, to, 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 to go into the world series. So,
0: <laughs> i awesome.
7: I didn't allow them to record this, and then when so then when you guys were talking, they wouldn't let me uh, they were uh, you know, I activate my mic, so I had to come back in. <laughs> yeah, so how's everybody? Right. I, hear, I hear Wally's on, yeah, John. Good to see you guys. Yeah, I think guys should bring his three uh, D printer with them next, uh, so we can see how see it operate. You know, making that a case that might be kind of cool. You know? And then he could have like a raffle or something like that for that case that was made at the Cocoa Fest. Oh,
9: yeah. I've thought about bringing it to the Cocoa Fest, and the new one would actually be a lot easier to do it with, even though it's the same size. The old one. You're supposed to be able to print from the SD card, but I found out really quickly that feature was not very well done. Um, on the new one, it, uh, apparently it's using an ARM processor instead of something a lot less powerful in the old one, and it prints great off the SD card. And, oh, great. Yeah, And it's also got Wi-Fi built into it, which I haven't tried yet. And uh, I think it's getting on about a month I've had it. So, but I've been running mini MPI cases on it and things like that. So, it's been I think it'd stuff, be right. neat if you
2: did like a a time lapse video, put it out there on YouTube. It'd be kind of cool to see if a high oh, speed cool. print. I yeah. I thought know,
9: this... about that, and uh, you know, it's something we might I might do in the, in the future. Uh, as currently, it's, it's either like it's feast or famine on when I'm doing stuff. Either you know, I you know, I'll go a few weeks and there being nothing, and then. And I'll, I'll get three or four people who want stuff. <laughs> like I got to get it all done at, at once. And <laughs> you really can't make anything in advance because you don't know how many things are there. You don't want to be sitting on a, a bunch of plastic. And uh, in cases, it's going to sit there. and sure. you, know, you put all that time in. Now I did make an exception this time, and because I know Ed has a waiting list, and his pro- products are real popular, so I did. Pr- after I shipped him his first batch, I, I kept on printing. So I have another batch ready if and when he wants them to ship to him on the any the mini MPI and That's cool uh, And so they're they're ready here i I think they're all well, I've got to put a now a couple of them together there. I screw them in the pre you know put them together with the screws in, so make sure they've got the proper number of screws with it and such. And packaging sure. in a baggie with the, the switch things and the, the support. Um, that way I know, hey it's all here. And when I ship them to him, I throw a few extra of the switch covers in case one gets lost or something like that, you know. Or one has a flaw that I missed, so he's got plenty to ship out to people.
0: Yeah, so it sounds pretty cool. Sounds like you have a, a process there. Um maybe you should uh, consider doing um, a seminar related to designing the cases or case production or something like that. Um so uh kind of well,
9: Yeah, I ahead. kind of thought about that. Uh, so much of it's on non-cocoa on it, but the uh I've got so many ideas on the Cocoa that I want to present this year that uh, I'd rather do those, and uh, because you guys, if that were to the Midwest Vintage uh, Computer Fair, I you know that I've got some joystick designs, I've got a trackball design I'm working on, and uh, you know it's kind of Pacific Cocoa-related, and just trying to do everything is kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. You need to hire a staff to help you. Well, just about, and then. So who's go, Cubs, go! and, <laughs> and uh, Besides my day job. <laughs> Fortunately, uh. my wife likes going to the Cocoa Fest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And well, so, so what other seminars and stuff do people want to turn? Or what do people want to talk about at Cocoa Fest? Or what do they want to hear about at Cocoa Fest? Anybody got ideas and things they'd like to request for people to talk about, or, or their own proposals they would like to talk about? Well, I'll go ahead and, go ahead. and speak up. Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
8: Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, John.
9: Well I've just been talking so much as anybody else I'd, you know uh, the, uh, I want to do some on game development and stuff uh, I might do on controller development which might be just some of the 3d stuff but at least game development uh, introduce a couple of new games and talk about developing. and uh, and some of my tools because I keep upgrading my tools and stuff. And uh Neil's been seeing some results of that. And uh so and also be aware that just the two that I said that to, that I'm I'm really pretty sure is gonna be available, there's others in various stages of development. And, <laughs> uh, and Neil challenged me for something and and so I've been looking at it and so far I think it's doable. That's probably good news to deal, <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of the, the deal. Is there? I want you know, work up some excitement about. I and you know, I'm excited to have people developing software. Uh, we the and I forget his name right now. I should remember the the gentleman uh, that presented it, BCF Midwest. And, Evan. Evan, okay, Evan White, and I think he's, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, edit it out, he's talking to you about what you make a cartridge, because he accidentally sent me the files. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a good way to learn about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So, And which I'm excited about, then I want to see that, and we know that uh, there's a, another balancing ball in the works, and uh, Taylor's mm-hmm. doing some really cool things on the other, one of the emulators, and uh, not the emulators, but the Phil uh, Programmer Great Systems. And I am supposed to be getting one of his systems, the Nanomates, at some point in time. He just announced that the, uh, he started on the analog board. And we were waiting on getting me the boards to do a case for that till he had the analog board. So it's, it's kind of stable design. And so there's, there's a, I think, a lot going on here. Uh, just to talk about what I see from my
0: side. Well, there's never any shortage of news uh, each month, that's for sure. Um, but uh, you know, like you say, some some news, people talking about their projects, whatever. Um, but we, you know, we still want people to come to Cocoa Fest and talk about the stuff in person, and whether it's uh, talking about a product they're developing or talking about just talking about their own project or how they. You know, built their own, uh, you know, star tracker or astronomy hut or whatever. <laughs> you know, any any kind of thing that the people are working on. Um, you know, we want them to come to Cocoa Fest and tell us about it, or come check things out, uh, whether or not they're making something that's uh, available for sale, or uh, you know, if they just want to come and hang out or come and uh, market their old Cocoa systems like Wally. <laughs> the more involved, the better. That's right.
2: Yeah. I'd like to hear, uh, I'd like to get Nick up in the middle of the night to do some presentation, uh, to Cocoa Fest. That would be cool.
0: That would be cool. Or well, we need <laughs> yeah. to figure out how to get him, how to get him to come and join us.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's a bit, a bit expensive to fly all the way to Chicago from yeah, Australia.
9: They got you over here once. I met you. <laughs> that was Pennsylvania. <laughs>
2: Yeah, even if we do it over blue jeans, it'd be nice uh, to get a presentation, you
1: know. Yeah, that would yeah. be cool.
2: It's a possibility.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's what I meant about keeping you up in the middle of the night to, uh, to uh, the Cocoa Fest time.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could probably organize something.
2: Uh, even if you just talked about the travails of uh, getting the, the pop star pilot package all assembled and shipped out, that would be uh, everybody would be quite interested in it.
4: Well, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know which was harder, writing the game or packaging the uh, the game at the end. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. There's a, there's a lot of bits and pieces of work that goes into that besides just the programming. You have to stuff the packages in the kangaroo pouches to get them off to the post.
9: Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. not
0: really the hard part, right?
9: <laughs> well, you know, like in our mine and John's case, you know, you know, we've got to shrink wrap them make get the cartridges and and, uh, you know, burning problems. Yeah, <laughs> Tom, I'm going to have to send you hang, uh, uh, some tag hangers or something, you know. <laughs> <That's> yeah, <okay. laughs> that's okay. can't, can't have you had your provide uh, uh, challenge for much longer, okay?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I'm not even sold on the uh, shrink wrapping for sure anymore, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I need to get on the stick. I uh, I have a couple of ideas, but nothing that I've sold on, and so I'm not currently working towards any specific project. Um, kind of a my retro challenge project is not a Coco thing at all. I'm you know building a, a cosmic elf, um, learning how to wire wrap. That's that's no fun really, but it's kind of fun. But it's sort of. <laughs> Fun in a masochistic sort of way. Um, I got to where I actually had a a, a gun,
9: okay, wire wrapping gun. That was yeah. Good. Okay, so uh, that's long been misplaced to who knows where. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it gets to be a bit of work. And actually, my first machine was a, a Cosmic Elf and built up on a... Uh, the solidless breadboard is how I built the first
0: one. So, uh, so yeah. So, anyway, I need to get back uh, into a, a Cocoa project, a hardware and or software, or both. Um, you know, the, the podcast itself is kind of a project. <laughs> it takes up a certain amount of the time that might otherwise go to, uh, to uh, you know, product development or whatever the term would be. Um, and then the other part that goes is uh, the eBay acquisitions.
4: <laughs> Why don't you run a uh, podcast from the uh, fest itself?
1: <laughs>
0: go Cubs, go Cubs. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Um, you know, well, we probably could do that. I kind of toyed with the idea of doing that last year. Um, we end up with the, doing the um, – you know, the kind of the joint session with the uh, with the uh, uh, Steve Strobridge and and Curtis Boyle, um, but uh, you know that's uh, something a lot of other um, uh, retro events kind of do with their podcasters. Will get together and do kind of a joint podcast or something like that. I think the biggest reason keeping us uh, just from doing a podcast recording there. Uh, is just to, 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 you know, doing the preparation or whatever kind of just takes away from uh, <laughs> us just being there and uh, enjoying the event. We probably could do something like this with a recording session that would, uh, you know, bring in some participants. I don't know, I don't have anything against that. Uh, just would have to to talk to, to Neil or Mike or whoever and uh, see what they think about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jim's still listening to the game there. I think. Well, let's see. Well, so um, we mentioned, uh, of course, we've been talking some about Cocoa Fest. We mentioned to uh, to Wally about uh, our Tandy Assembly. Has anybody got any random thoughts on uh, Tandy Assembly? Uh, sound like a good idea to you guys, or you, know, or is it silly? Or
9: <laughs> well, you know, I think it sounds doable. Again, it's it's in an area that's not too far away from. Uh, a lot of us who do support the uh color computer and, uh, and you know I, I we would definitely try to make it you know if we could possibly do so and uh and support that. I mentioned my wife she's oh cool <laughs> so, and uh from this side, it doesn't look like anything too silly to me <laughs> And I know I'm a game programmer for a computer that hadn't been <laughs> made in how many years? I think Nick those yeah. that feeling as well as you do, John.
0: <laughs> yeah, a long time. <laughs> yeah. And uh,
9: did make me think of one other thing, and I need to shut up and give some of time. Is, is I actually think of doing this uh, arcade game and actually doing a, a version on it one for the, the programmer uh, Gator Way systems. Um, so. I am my map seriously considering, you know, having it available on the, in a spatial version for them, maybe using the more colors, uh, our higher resolution that they have just so we can see. Hey, if the cocoa would do this, this is what it could have looked like. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like the, I like my stuff to run on the cocoa and I want something there. And that would be always be the first priority. Uh, just out of curiosity to see what it
0: would do. It's it's kind of a curiosity thing. Sure. Yeah, we haven't done a lot of coverage on the FPGA stuff. We kinda of mentioned a few things at the at different um, kind of milestones or, or whatever, but um I don't know. We probably should have uh, some discussion at some point of uh you know what what at what point is it not a cocoa or is it still a cocoa, or is it different from a cocoa? Um, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's probably worth some discussion at some point. Um, But that that definitely is a problem, right? When you you go off, um, you add extra hardware features or whatever, and that might be cool to play with from a programming standpoint or whatever. Um, But if nobody programs for them, they're kind of pointless, (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly.
9: And this is the thing, you know, that – I've done some talks a little bit, uh, not as much as I may need to do with some of the people involved with this these. And Interesting need...
2: to see the uh, number of people that actually have those and are, are using them.
9: Yes, that will be, you know, a big thing. And and that's also one of the things of like saying, okay, I've I got the game logic developed, okay? All right, well, now I have to just redo the graphics, you know, to, for the more colors or a higher resolution you know, do some modifications and see, just see what it does, you know, because at some point in time, you know, we're going to start, you know, I've got two dead cocoa threes here right now that I need to fix. Uh, and uh, besides the one, the working one, having a replacement when you can't get, you know, another one's a good idea, but it's, it's not the same as the original. Um, well, the, the one thing
2: that's interesting about the uh, the FPGA versions is they're fast enough that people that know how to program in Basic could actually, you know, make something playable. Would be really slow on the normal uh, Coco, so it, it it is kind of intriguing. Plus, having the extra colors and resolution.
9: Yeah, it to me it's not so much the extra speed, though that's nice if I want to go ahead and do the development on it instead of compiling on an uh, uh, emulator on the PC. And I know Nick does straight purists when he does his assembly on a Cocoa, but I do it cross-platform, but I'm actually running the emulator, and it's running the assembler, uh, Edtasm, in the emulator. So uh, I still have my ties there to the, the Cocoa when I'm doing it all. But, you know, it might be fast enough. I might be satisfied with the other. on am doing it on one of the other machines and then make sure it runs on the Cocoa and uh but i i put my two cents in i think as well as nick did uh that the uh the machine that taylor's working on that definitely needs you know standard coco joystick support to feel like a coco again i'm i'm long-winded i need to mute and let somebody else talk
4: <laughs> i think the problem with the fpga color computers is that there's not enough people who own it so i for one if i was to sit down and write an fpga game that uses the extra colors and extra um, speed and all that i would only be writing it for uh, half a dozen people and that's a lot of work for just a half a dozen people whereas i'd prefer to still write for the largest market um to suit a standard for, for a standard color computer which is what most people around the world would have so yeah from that point of view i'd I'm, I've, I've got an FPGA Cocoa, but I haven't quite warmed up to it yet. I still use my original. I have a question for Nick.
9: Yep. Uh,
7: you, did John say you were, you're were you still programming? Uh, you're using uh, you, for the uh, on-the-color computer? You're writing that stuff yeah. on it, or are you doing a cross-platform?
4: No, totally on the color computer. Okay. All right. I was wondering. Oh. Old school. Yeah, I because
7: uh, the stuff I'm I, I'm using uh, when I'm working on it, I'm on a laptop, and uh, I'll use uh, VCC, but I'm using EdTASM, you know, uh, disk EdTASM, yeah. and uh, it's you know the recompiles are uh, are, are slow, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but still, I, I enjoy doing it that way.
4: I just like using the actual hardware. It just reminds me of what that I'm using a color computer, right. rather than typing on a PC keyboard. You know, it just doesn't feel right. That, or I'm extremely stupid.
0: <laughs> Not likely. Well, Jim, are you are you working on this project you want to talk about?
7: Well, I got two things. Um... One's a hardware, one's software. Uh this hardware and this is just for me because uh you know I love disk drives, you know. And, <laughs> right uh, it's, it's not as as much as, as good as the SDC is and uh you know uh Cloud Nine's uh uh controller, whatever I forget what that's called. Um, super IDE. The super IDE. Right. I love that too. But you know, I wanna be able to Some anyways, you know the little GoTex? Uh, oh yeah, floppies. The, the you know, floppy they're, replacements, they're, they're like, right? We, the floppy replacements. You know, they have an SD card in it, but they're only they're a single floppy drive. They cost about thirty bucks on eBay, and then you get the software from some guy in uh, France, I think, and and he'll configure it so that uh, it'll it'll operate as a Tandy drive. And that's ten dollars for each one you do, so it's about forty bucks. And I just want to—I don't sure if it's if it's do which one of the uh, uh, if it's doing DMK or uh, any of the others, but uh, I want to get that running on a uh, on a on a cocoa. So that's so then I can have a, a real drive, and then I can have this drive, and I can just uh, you know do do stuff like that. That's what I'm looking for. Maybe or maybe three of those drives, and then a real floppy, you know. That's my, that's, that's just for me. And uh, cause I think on the SDC, you can't, what's the, what's the limitation on that? You can't use the, the uh, Neil, what's the limitation on that? You remember that, 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 that was my problem.
3: Yeah. You're only limited to two drives. That's it. Right. You're mm-hmm. only limited to the two drives.
7: Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and I, I want to have that, that extra third drive. And because that's the other part of the thing, see, I'm, I'm still working on my uh disc uh version of color fourth that uh yeah oh, cool yeah and and uh, actually i got it quite uh i'm quite moving along I, i've i've hit a i'm doing some windowing because i'm using eighty column screen and I, and the standard the old fourth was sixty four by sixteen which would give you ten twenty four uh blocks so I've got, so what I want to do is I want to put a block in the upper left corner of 64 by 16. And then I can put another, I got another eight lines of 80 column down below that I can use for entry or something like that. And then on the side, I'm going to, i want to put like stacks or registers or something like that. And then, um, and then I'll just use it. And then I want to write a screen, a uh, full screen editor and forth instead of a line editor mm-hmm. I'm, I'm using a li- i'm using an old line editor from uh right now and it's it's not uh it's not fun so yeah, i'm looking for it yeah, so yeah
2: but that's, so that's cool doing, those would so. make uh, those would make great topics to talk about at a coco fest or a Tandy assembly or both
7: yeah, yeah, yeah well I, I plan on going to the tandy assembly so yeah mark, mark me down that's for cool. that yeah, i'll bring a Model four with that's me and uh
0: I might even bring an apple <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put you down for the uh, Saturday night singing uh, contest as well.
7: There you go. I'm, 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 but, uh, yeah,
0: you win. Mike Rowan's
7: got to sing with me.
0: Mike <laughs> Rowan's a pretty
7: good singer. You ever hear Mike sing? Yeah, he's 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 a pretty good singer.
0: <laughs> awesome.
8: Well, how uh, how uh, likely is there to be uh, the uh, assembly?
0: I think it's a pretty strong likelihood. We're still a bit way, still a ways out. I think uh, Mike said he he had him at least pencil us in a date on the calendar. Is that right, Mike?
2: Yeah, we uh, we're moving forward with this, and we've uh, already reserved uh, the ballroom for it. And uh, it's it's a really nice facility. It's an easy to get to place. Uh, like like Wally mentioned, it's at, right at the foothills before the hilly country starts as you head toward uh, West Virginia
8: that time of the year should be beautiful down there.
2: Mm-hmm. The weather should be perfect, good temperatures and, uh, yeah, and fall uh, weather.
8: Uh, uh, and um uh it'd be uh, nice to to spend an extra day or so just to uh see some of the things down there. Uh very interesting area. Very interesting area. There's uh Indian artifacts uh that were found there. The um uh, the uh, ancient Indians uh, apparently had trade routes that were very complex and they traded with the Indians um, that inhabited Montana, Uh, you know, was just traveling in their uh, canoes. Uh, It was was a pretty advanced uh, society. Very, very impressive. Very interesting.
2: Chillicothe itself, I believe, is uh, an Indian term.
8: Oh, it it sounds uh, like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that that'd be great. That'd be a great time.
2: Yeah, we're hoping that uh, people that may not be able to make Chicago will uh, be able to. This this will be in reach f- uh, for them, and uh, we we did publish a list of uh, cities that are you know, within a day of it, and it's pretty significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's um, like I say it's a little bit closer to some of the East Coast cities. Um, I think it's a little bit closer to to some of the farther south uh, uh, locations, too, like, uh, you know, the deep south and or Florida. Um, and so I think it enables uh, a little bit, uh, uh, well, it's a slightly different section of the community that might be able to come to that, that it might be just a little too long a stretch to go to Chicago um right and like i said we uh we don't want to compete with Cocoa fest uh, you know we're trying to, to spread it out on the calendar um kind of wanted to have a, a fall event anyway um so i think that's going to be a cool event it's just a, a matter of uh, working out the details um and, uh, neil and, and mike and i and maybe we need to form a uh, you know, and that's a larger group or whatever that's more dedicated to the specific event and have monthly meetings or something, um, but uh, just need to figure out the details on planning and budgeting and that sort of stuff, but uh, I think it's all within reach, and I think we're all pretty committed to it, so... I plan to uh, to see something happen next time about this this year next year about this time. (laughs) About this time.
8: Well, uh, yeah, keep me posted, and anything that I can do, uh, uh, just let me know.
0: Sure, sure. I know uh, you you sound like you're not too far away. I know Brett Gordon makes it sound like he practically lives there. Uh, (laughs) It's like 40 minutes away or something. I think is what he said. So uh, we have a couple of you guys that are local enough that it could be helpful. Yeah, um, yeah. We also need to build up a, a stash of uh, <laughs> of Tandy uh, artifacts uh, that are, we can use to seed an auction of some sort. I think that'd be cool.
8: <laughs> yeah, that to uh, get something like that going, uh, that would be uh, that would be helpful.
0: I mean, we just need a, the key to Jim O'Keefe's uh, storage room, I think, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah
8: right. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the stuff that he bought at the Chicago auctions, yeah.
0: Exactly. Oh, yeah.
8: Yeah, <laughs> I got
2: a lot go of stuff. One disc drive,
7: Jim.
0: <laughs> I'll donate a disc drive. <laughs> all right, progress. Maybe we, can, Yay. <laughs> maybe we can trade Jim a disc drive for some of his other stuff, and just. I
7: I think.
0: Uh, Neal,
7: uh, I showed Neil that there's a there's a Craigslist listing here for in Rockford, Illinois. It's a it's a it's a garage full of Tandy stuff, but they want oh, the, wow. the condition is it's a garage full. There was a covered. I saw a covered Model Two, and then uh, you know those old Tandy external hard drives with the green and red buttons on them and the key switch. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. And then there oh, was right. manuals and everything like that. And they didn't put a price on it, but I'm guessing that. They want it all hauled out and i says I, I i you'd have to get a you'd have to get another uh storage locker just to just to hold does, it off but they want to they get rid of satinsky
1: the know about
2: this who <laughs> peter satinsky <laughs> from uh, trash talk uh he might be interested he might actually go out there and get it really
7: yeah he might yeah. So neil, neil's got the uh i sent neil the link he can uh he can send you know you can send it to this guy Yeah, because. Uh, i bet you could pick it up for under 500 bucks just because they want to get it moved you know
3: i could definitely vouch it's one heck of a haul i mean there's a lot of stuff in that locker
2: well maybe we
7: should contact peter
2: and maybe maybe some of us can go in to make it happen that'd be cool
3: yeah, yeah i i
7: I'd, I'd be happy to go in that's what i'm saying i'd like to cherry pick it but you know uh, you know even if we uh you know if we all went in it just it's just got to all get moved that's the problem you know somewhere
0: well maybe I'm we should sure figure that fabulous. out
7: yeah, we'll, no, we'll rent the storage right next to it and
2: just move it over.
7: <laughs> well, that's what I said. What I told Neil today. <laughs> so rent the storage <laughs> locker next. <laughs> no, it's in a garage. I can tell it's in a garage. But there's there's like you know if you look at the pictures there's uh, there's there's stuff in front and then there's stuff you can't even see in the back and then there's books, manuals for all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, a lot of pictures. It's uh, it's quite a haul, but. Uh, you know, you're gonna to have to take it all, and have some place to put it, you know, and people to move it. But I'd be, I'd be willing to help out, you know, for a cherry pick or something here or there.
0: <laughs> we just put Neil on it. He's got a strong back, and uh, yeah, right. he's got he's got the big roomy automobile. We can uh, <laughs> take advantage yeah. of that.
7: I'm well to look. <laughs>
0: yeah.
7: Hey, Wally, it looks like it's going to be Cleveland and uh, the Cubs.
8: Cubs won? Well
7: they're, yeah, they're, well, they're up 5 to nothing. it's in the 7th oh, inning. Oh, so.
8: yeah, it looks yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it looks, it's looking pretty good. It had
7: to be a complete collapse. I don't see it happening.
8: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a while so, since Cleveland uh, won anything.
7: Well, it's been 108 years since the Cubs
8: <laughs> <laughs> That long? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so. Should
2: we, should we bring a goat?
1: Yeah, no no, no <laughs> goats, no goats. The, uh,
8: <laughs> the Indians have been a lot of fun to watch this year.
7: Yeah. The Cubs have been fun to watch, and I'm not a Cubs oh, fan. yeah. Uh, John, I got uh I was telling Neil, um my buddy and I, Chuck, are gonna that we were, you know, help you write uh co-authored, I guess we put it uh plateau of the past, you know, we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna set up a, uh, some videos on YouTube, and we're gonna kind of the first one will probably be just like an introduction, and then we're gonna actually play through the game as oh yeah you know and, and then kind of comment on you know what we did and how we did it and stuff like that. It just kind of be uh, a fun little thing, maybe three minute three minute little segments at a time or something like that, you know, because you can you can die pretty quick and plateau the past. So
0: <laughs> sure, well, that sounds I'll really cool. Care of that.
7: Yeah, that'll be that'll be a fun thing to do. We just, I just got to get the time. I've been working so hard that, uh, uh, but now with the fall, you know, with the winter coming on, I'll have a little more time and we'll try to do something before, uh, hopefully before uh, uh, Cocoa Fest, you know, so yeah, I'll let you know when we do that. Maybe we'll do a little uh, interview or something on the, uh, on your, on the podcast yeah you know
0: well that, that would definitely be awesome and then we could do a screening uh as coca fest that'd be cool too Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We do that too, sure. okay. uh, and then uh yeah i still uh would like to, to uh work on breaking the copy protection on <laughs> plateau i don't know a lot about <laughs> it though uh well i, I, I mean that, somebody project. broke
7: it because that that's it's broken i mean you know the and that was pretty. That was that uh, pirate tector, I think that was a that I bought to, yeah. to copy protect that stuff. So somebody was able to to
1: do that.
0: Oh yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Well darn! There goes my project. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because Neil's got yeah.
7: this. Uh, that, that copy that Neil has is.
3: Uh, I don't think that's copy
7: protected. Or is it,
3: Neil? No, that's uh, that's that's a copy protected version. I'm using a special board. Oh, it board is copy to, uh, protected. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Yeah,
2: I yeah you me. can you can crack that, and we'll be handing out free copies of Farfall. <laughs>
7: <laughs> oh Lord! I never, Might as well I never do got it. my. I never got my Farfall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was promised to my little uh, my little uh, cartridge. Well, you didn't yeah. get one. No. No, well, you said when you uh, make some another set, you said you'd you'd take care of me. Oh well, God, I didn't realize I was an outstanding debt. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that well, I'm the guy that brings you coffee on uh, on Sunday mornings
0: at GCF. That's true. That's coffee true. Coffee and
7: donuts and donuts. Uh, and donuts.
0: Although I ne I never got my plateau of the past T-shirt though, so you uh, know. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this year, this year, if I do T-shirts, I'm going to uh, Neil. Did Did you ever
7: put any of those on eBay? Those those t- those shirts.
3: No, I uh, they're coming ones? on very soon,
7: very soon. Cool. Yeah, we got some some of the, some of the 25th anniversary ones I gave to Neil to throw on yeah. uh, eBay. Cool. And then and then uh, so next year I don't know maybe I'll, I might I might reprint a few of those in in a, in a little bigger size. Uh-huh. I'm actually wearing my
2: Plateau of the Past shirt right now. Really? No. Just trying to make that's me jealous. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I got here yesterday wearing, uh, at Neil's house wearing
7: the uh, the Coco Crew podcast shirt. So <laughs> you're both covered.
3: <laughs> well, I'm wearing my uh, Apple One
7: t-shirt at the moment. So, Oh, yeah, that's
3: cool. That's funny. So am I. Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great minds think alike.
7: Uh, clearly, right. we need to get. To, we you need to we get. On. To, and uh, and to one more thing, I'm going to. Be, I'm going to I, I just thought of it tonight. I said, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to write a song for Tandy and the Color Computer. That's going to be my goal for. Well, we'll uh,
0: yeah. we'll bring it out at the Cocoa Fest. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
7: That's
0: yeah. awesome. And it, That's great. Yep. And then you can yeah. uh, teach it to Brother Jeremy, and you guys can have a duet.
3: There you go. <laughs> I was thinking something like, uh, you know.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, really, Jeremy.
3: Oh, it's <laughs> 9 level 3 on the screen. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I was thinking something like, uh, what's it all about, Tandy? <laughs> that'd be, that'd be good, That's great.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so clearly we need to get uh, the T-shirt people back in business at Cocoa Fest. Uh, we hadn't had a T-shirt guy there in a while. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Starting that to was, it. was that was fun to do.
7: <laughs> like I say, I just I misjudged the the number of uh, three X's that I needed. Like I could have probably sold. <laughs> I probably sold about thirty more shirts if I'd have bought thirty more three X's. <laughs> <laughs> Pun hey, intended. The say. number
2: is growing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, that was a, a thing at uh, Linux Symposium in Ottawa, Canada. Did for years, that was sort of the premier event for for Linux conferences, and uh, one of the the last ones that I went to, are, uh, they had a uh, an overview of you know the past years and blah blah blah, and then they had a, a graphic said uh, this is a chart of our t-shirt sizes uh, over the years. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Oh, my. And, you know, seven or eight years before, they had all been mediums. And then at that point, they were all, you know, two or three X's or whatever. <laughs> that is funny.
4: Very funny. Yep. I, I, I've got to be going, uh, so I'll have to leave.
0: <laughs> all right, Nick. Well, thanks for joining us. It was good to have you. All
4: right. And, it's yes, good Go to, uh, to participate. Thank you. Yep. All right, then. See you later.
0: Nick, right. Take care. Cheers. Take
4: care,
8: Nick. Bye.
4: Bye-bye.
8: No, we didn't
7: uh... – shag nick off with all our uh non coco talk but
0: well, well maybe a little here. but uh it's all right so. are there any uh coco topics we should uh steer it back to when can we talk about um projects that are ongoing projects we'd like to see issues in the community anyone want to talk about implementing logic functions in basic no <laughs> I would not um, mind seeing, uh, is
7: this How's the what, what's the what's the prognosis for that uh, that sixty four uh, sorry to sixty eight forty seven that that guy was uh, you know the VDG chip to, H, to to HDMI I think was it to HDMI or was it to SVGA? SVGA I think. Yeah. Brendan
0: Donahue. Yeah right. Yeah. How's that? Does anybody know how that's going? I think it's going okay. I don't think he I think he kinda had a while he didn't have a lot of time to uh, apply to it. But I've seen some postings not too long ago where he was still working with it. That's to, That's FPGA, um, isn't it? I think so. Is that the
7: basis for that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Somebody, I mean, we, yeah need, we need to get too. somebody
7: to make it we need to get somebody to make an FPGA gimmicks or the gimmick chip.
0: Yeah. Well of course that's sort of implied with the, the, the Roger Taylor's thing and, and the COCO 3 FPGA project, um, but it, it's not separated out. It's not a separate component. Uh, but it seems like something you could do. You know, one of the things that, that uh, I think is still a drawback for both of the FPGA uh, projects uh, is that they're still using a, a 6809 core that is not cycle-accurate, and so, if you have any programs that do any kind of cycle counting, um, uh, then, uh, you know, they're not likely to work, <laughs> right. Right. Um, which, you know, even even uh, the Tandy Doss sort of does some cycle counting in a couple of places. I guess it just happens to work out for them. Uh, so, I don't know if you've seen the, the postings from Eric G- G- Gavrulik, uh, where he is using the um, it's using the, the G O D I L uh, part, the Godil or whatever, with that uh, that Acorn. What was it called? Uh, a project where you could drop a 6809 emulated CPU into this 40-pin board and actually physically replace the 6809, uh, and so you could have a you know a hardware debug capability on it. Mmm. like that. Anyway. He's been messing with that, and uh, I think he's working to get the, the or 9, uh emulation uh, back to a, a perfect cycle accuracy. Mm-hmm. That's a part of – if you've seen the pictures he's posting, he's experimenting. Like, he's got one where he, he's uh, actually dropping it into a Vectrex mm-hmm. um, so for some testing uh, as well as, of course, with the Cocoa. Um, I don't know what his ultimate game on that, if he's trying to feed back into the FPGA projects. Anyway, my point being, in that case, you're you're replacing the CPU uh, chip with an FPGA. Um, And, of course, it's a completely different form factor than what the gimme came in. But it certainly seems plausible that you could, if you could find the right, um, you know, pieces of hardware to fit the the socket <laughs> um that you could uh, isolate the fpga implementation of the gimme uh, into something where you could drop it into uh the socket on the Cocoa 3. um now that really is only good for basically repairing a Cocoa 3 with a dead gimme Uh, If you want to go beyond that with adding new features and stuff, you know, you're going to quickly hit limitations on the bus width or bus speed and that sort of stuff. But who knows? Right. And it's something that could be done.
2: Uh, Did you see uh, Vincent Tran's uh, podcast player that uh, he had running on the Coco? It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, you know, that actually is um, – that's actually Brett Gordon's player. Vincent Tran was showing it or whatever, but it was actually Brett Gordon that wrote it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, right. That's right. But uh, watch that video. It's, a, it's, it's pretty a cool game. looking. It's neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, it's sort of on the uh, you know questionable usefulness uh, side of things, <laughs> but uh, still pretty fun, right? It's a cool project. Ah, yeah, that's right up our alley. <laughs> exactly. Hey, exactly. gentlemen.
7: I tell you what, the Cubs are about to uh, win the pennant here, so I'm going to uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to
8: log off here and,
7: and <laughs> celebrate with my wife. And uh, so, thanks for having me on. Really, and,
8: uh, really taking oh. this seriously. Oh,
7: absolutely, hey, Wally. <laughs> so, what's the bet here in front of everybody? What's the bet? How about dinner dinner on Saturday night at the Cocoa Fest for the the winner. The loser buys the, the loser buys the winner.
8: <laughs> all right uh, well make it make it friday because saturday friday, was okay. the uh that dinner right. that that was a great dinner right. yeah. uh yeah. saturday so we may, we'll make it friday
7: friday night
8: okay
7: and good luck to the indians
8: yeah yeah <laughs> this, should, this should be fun this should be
7: it, it'll be fun all right fellas we'll, i'll be talking okay. to you later it was always good
8: okay. Talking to okay thanks
0: for joining yeah, great to hear okay. from thanks you thanks for joining jim Thank, Take yeah, care. Thanks
8: for calling. Yeah.
0: Thank you bye bye all right well Wally um, you still there what did, what are your thoughts yep, what's yep,
8: uh, i'm here i'm here
0: oh i'm I'm open
8: to anything
0: uh what keeps you coming back to cocoa fest
8: well you know i i've i just like the cocoa. i still use my cocoa for a lot of serious stuff um, uh, I wrote some um As I was well, Neil. Neil knows what's, uh, because he got that machine that I brought. But I wrote quite a few um, uh, databases uh, for myself. Things that I, and I tailored them to exactly uh, what I needed them for, and and how to print out reports and all this. And I I use it to this day. I still love that little Coco. So um, I'm, uh, we're we're connected at the hip with the Coco. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been going to the uh, Cocoa Fest for so long, it's, it's family, you know, Uh see you guys every year and, uh, and uh, you know, shoot the breeze, talk politics, whatnot. Uh, so that's, that's, that's <laughs> keeping me going.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely agree on that. Uh, it's a great event. Definitely enjoy it and uh you know, like i said i'm hoping uh I'm hoping we're gonna get a kind of a second dose of it uh, with the with the new tandy assembly event, and I'm definitely happy to think you'll be part of it and certainly oh, yeah, that to oh, be that'd, there. Be,
8: that'd be great yeah that that would i would really <laughs> look forward to that
0: yeah are uh, you doing any projects uh for cocoa fest or anything you, anything like that you're working on or
8: well just kind I'm, of uh, I was thinking like I said of uh putting together another uh, system like I had last year uh, mm-hmm. i don't I don't think I missed much in the way of tricks with with that system. It was pretty <laughs> versatile uh and i uh like i say i I use it all the time myself still um so other other than that, I've been spending a lot of time on photography lately and uh and my wife's been having a little uh, rough time with sciatic uh, problems, back problems, um, mm. so she can't she can't drive uh, or even ride in a car for for too long. So I have to I have to drive her around quite a bit. Uh, uh, she's getting better, but uh, she's still got got some issues. So you know, I'm I thought when I retired, that. yeah, I thought when I retired, I'd have all this time. But I don't.
2: I don't. Well, I've, uh, you know, I'm here with uh, Neil this weekend visiting him, and uh, he showed me uh, the system that he got from you, uh, Wally. And it's, uh, I got to, it was a pleasure. I got to spend some time um, uh, sifting through the disks, and it it was really, uh, really nice the way you had laid out all the different uh, floppies and and sorted it and labeled it. And it was very organized, uh, very neat.
8: Oh yeah, and uh, <clears throat> there's in that controller <clears throat> there's uh, there's eight operating systems in that controller, and uh, you can go from one system <laughs> to the other with the switches. And I had that um, that little cheat sheet uh, to give you the combination of switches. But uh, there's really nothing that you can't do on the Coco, you know, in that system. And I uh, I have. Um, I think I had four of those that I, that I assembled like that. And, um, if I, if I can get all the pieces together and uh, assemble, the I have a 6309 uh, Cocoa and if I can get that all together, I think I'll bring that, uh, to the, to Chicago, uh, this time and, uh, put it up for, yeah, we'd love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Plus, uh, uh, our house is so bad here. It's so got so much drunk, junk in it that if, if you peeled off all the <laughs> building material, you wouldn't see any difference. You
0: <laughs> know, the house would be the <laughs> same. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Cool. Well, definitely looking forward to seeing you again uh, in uh, about six months, <laughs> if not uh, somehow before. Um uh, like I said, hopefully I'll have something to offer, but honestly, right now, I'm not sure what the projects are going to be. Uh, right. I am supposed to be the uh, coordinator for the, uh, uh, you know, for the seminars or whatever, which i would helped with last year. And, uh, so if you got something you want to talk about at Cocoa Fest, definitely let me know.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Um. And if you got somebody, if you got an idea for somebody you'd like to recruit into talking, let me know that. I can uh, try to be helpful there as well.
8: Uh-huh. What's, uh. What's What's Mark up to these days?
0: Mark Marlette. Yeah. Well, he uh he had some home problems uh a ways back. Had some flooding from uh, I guess uh broken pipes. Oh. And yeah. uh and uh sounded serious enough that he's had to tear up his house quite a bit and uh oh, God. do some remodeling. I think he said that uh this weekend he was going off for some kind of vacation and hunting or whatever. Uh um so hopefully he's getting his life a little bit back to normal at this point. Mm. Oh and he just had uh, his uh, son and uh, uh daughter-in-law I guess just had uh, uh an, another grandchild. Uh, f- so uh so that should be exciting news at uh, the Marlette place. Uh-huh. <laughs> So was well, Mark's grandchild, not his sons, but yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's
2: busy as ever. He's always busy. He's, he, he doesn't have an idle minute of the day either.
0: No. Yeah.
8: And, but the, for him, he's quite normal.
0: He's quite the perfectionist. Uh, he's had, uh, some issues with the, his, uh, VGA adapter, the, the super spectra or whatever. At, uh, he he uh, was pursuing uh, initially just as a, you know, a, a quality thing. And he kind of dug in about, well, I don't really like this part either and this part and whatever. And it, <laughs> he's kind of been revamping the whole thing uh, uh, and uh, really pouring the, the midnight oil, shall we say, uh, onto that. <laughs> uh-huh.
8: Well, yeah, that's no. how those things are. You know, the, you start out, then you get sucked in and involved, and one thing leads to another.
9: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Proof nope. that black holes exist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they're all retro projects, actually. <laughs> so, well, um. John Strong, there uh do you got anything else to add to the discussion? Any uh any topics that have come up in in the course of the evening or
9: well listening there um, I had 3D printed this morning and hadn't got to play with it much yet. A uh a stick uh to go on one of the little thumb sticks, instead of a thumb one that looks like a more like a standard sure. joystick. Actually it's fitting. And it looks like it I okay. actually stay in place. That's by been my <laughs> big concern. It's because it's plastic fitting on plastic, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and some of my previous ones would, like, come right off. I'm like, okay, am I going to be able to get this to actually stick? You're going to have to glue it. What kind of glue? We're going to have to do do it. So yeah. a little bit of cocoa yeah. progress. Well, now you I'm got like a sure.
2: second chance at Tandy Assembly, so you're covered.
9: Okay. Yeah. You know, a six-month uh, release
0: schedule now.
9: Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it, it, then I get the other projects, you know, for that. And uh, <laughs> something I've had, and I've mentioned this on the back burner at some time, and one of the reasons working with the joysticks and things is, you know, I definitely want to do that Cocoa 3 version of River Raid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just got to find time to do it all. And But I, I couldn't resist last year after Nick and crew released that high-res joystick adapter software that, you know, oh, I've got to see if it works with something. And so uh, I pulled out my Minesweeper stuff. And sometime later, after I obsessed over being <laughs> you know, too much details, we have Bomb Squad using that great <laughs> routine they did with the, the, joy- the high-res joystick. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, Nick. If you haven't heard, I've publicly thanked you and your team, uh, John Kowalski. <laughs> and those projects help everybody out. You know, that he took time out and did. So that's appreciated. I don't know. Is he still on here? We looks like we've had some people drop off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick had
2: a drop, but uh we'll definitely pass that on in the podcast. So he knows about it.
9: Yeah. Yeah. And so, but like I said, I don't want to talk about some of this stuff too much in case I don't get it done. I don't want it to be, you know, vaporware. Sure. We can't guarantee WikiLeaks won't do it, but we won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so... But, uh, you know, I'm kind of excited. I've got to get some time to work on the hardware. I've been swamped over with the mini MPI and, and fixing the problem in the, the MIDI case. Okay. That's the combination of, I don't think the plastic batch that I got was real good uh, from that. And some some bugs in the the, the firmware and the, the hardware and st- the software I was using. And I've I worked around at some others a lot quicker than this and I finally had to just redesign the piece and take out some features that I wanted in there the way it looked, just to get it done. I was wasting you know when you when you print a dozen cases you call it quits on that design. <laughs> yeah you go, go and redesign it, you know, just taking too much time. I, I liked the look of it and it literally looked nice and and the flaw wasn't that big, you know, Mike uh, you've seen it at the VCF, and I pointed it out. It really wasn't that big of a flaw, but it's a definite flaw that you can notice, and I I didn't want to ship it with the flaw.
2: And, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's part of the debugging process, and it, it takes time. But, uh, it, I mean, it looked really good, though. Your cases are really nice.
9: And, and the problem is, you know, our reputation out here depends on your latest product, you know. And my cases have a good reputation, and I'm trying to maintain that,
8: you
0: know. Sure. (laughs) Cool. So, well, guys, where does that leave us? Anybody else got something to talk about? Well, I'm good. (laughs) Mark? I'm basically just along for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. We're glad you're here.
6: A lot of things I'd like to do, I just uh, don't always have the uh, energy to do them.
0: I understand that. A huge stack of things that I'd like to do. Looking at most of it now, <laughs> I'm hoping uh, someday I'll be able to retire and work it down before I die.
6: <laughs> your uh, 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 people that inherit your estate will appreciate that.
9: <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, Mark, if you're ever able to make it to a Cocoa Fest, oh, that's on my no. list of things to do. Well, a lot of this kind of conversation goes on at the Cocoa Fest. And you, know, you get there, and sometimes you talk about projects that you don't talk about time, times times and get different feedback and so on. So-
6: yeah, no, I've, I've been paying attention to both the Kansas Fest for Apple and the Cocoa Fest. and uh, you know, Yeah, it would definitely be uh, cool. I was watching uh, Stevie Stroh's videos there, impromptu a jam session. But I play bass, so I'd have to probably bring that along. Yeah, my thing has uh, really been wanting to do some networking stuff. Uh, they brought out another network card for the Apple II called the Ethernet II, and uh, I see they're working on one for uh, the the Coco, but it's based upon an older chipset, the uh, Cirrus one, I think. trick? Cirrus.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's closer to the Ethernet One in terms of what the hardware does. Uh, Neil, Mike, anything else to add? I, th- I think we call that a wrap. <laughs> All right, well, Wally, Mark, John, definitely thank you for joining us, hanging in there.
1: You're listening to the Coco Crew Podcast
5: with Neil Blanchard and John Linville. The
3: All right, welcome back to the Games Corner on episode 17, and this is part two of ColorMax Deluxe. Last month, I did a review on ColorMax Deluxe that was written back in 1987 by Eric Gravulic and Greg Miller. For anyone who didn't catch last month's episode or doesn't know what this program is, well it's a graphics program similar to Windows and Mac Paint, but only better. Since my review from last month, I have taken the time to dig deeper into ColorMax and trying and learning the different options. Well, all I can say is the more I've used this program, the more I'm blown away with it. One of my favorite features is the ability to have colors on your drawing flashing on and off. This simulates a nice animation when set in a particular order. I also like that it can load GIF pictures. There, I pronounced it the right way. GIF. I have to be honest, I used to pronounce it GIF. I don't know if that makes me old or not. But uh, at least I'm corrected. I also like that it supports uh, DS69 picture files. And uh, those are files created from the Microworks DS69 digitizer, which I was actually able to test because I now own one. A big thanks to Michael Rowan for that. And to top it off, you can save any of these picture types into its own picture format with the file extension MGE. So basically, you can take a GIF picture or a uh, ds69 picture file and then you can actually save it into its own format. And I also have to say that when you're loading and saving these pictures it's actually very fast disk access. Now I know I'm using a Cocoa SDC but um, it's definitely pretty fast. Another handy feature is you can select the drive right from a drop down menu. So basically if you want to load files from drive 1, drive 2, drive 3, you can actually do this so you don't have to close the program or run any weird commands. So I was able to make a picture disk image on drive 1 and keep ColorMax disk image on drive 0. So this was very handy for loading and saving picture files. I also got ambitious and tried to do a printout with my Tandy DMP-105 printer. It worked by going through all the motions but nothing printed due to an aged dried out ribbon. Hmm. Now if I can just find a new ribbon for this printer. A ribbon re-inking project is up for grabs. Anyone? Anyone? Well, there you go. If you're looking for a fantastic graphics program for the Coco 3, I highly recommend trying out ColorMax Deluxe. You don't even need a tandy high-res adapter anymore because Eric recently just released an updated version, which is version 1.03 in case you're looking for it on the Color Computer Archive website, that has the built-in high-res driver. I hope you enjoyed this month's Game Corner episode of a review that is not a game. (laughs) Until next month, happy Cocoing.
0: After these messages... We'll be right back!
3: We have now reached the end of Episode 17. Flip the tape over and do a em until next month. We will be back for your listening pleasure. This was definitely a cool episode, with the Cocoa Fest Roundtable discussion and being the six-month mark away from Cocoa Fest, and the mention of Tandy Assembly, and can't forget Halloween. So many great things to look forward to. I'd like to thank our host, John Linville, for providing another awesome tech segment on the Dragon Coco DOS compatibility. It definitely cleared up a lot of questions I had. Now I want to hook up my Dragon again. The cool thing is, I didn't even know that he was going to do a tech segment on this, so this was quite a surprise. i also like to thank Mike Rowan, friend of the show, for joining us during the recording and for creating those cool advertisement promos you're hearing. And for making a trip down to my place last weekend. It was awesome having Mike here inside the studio when we were recording the CocoaFest roundtable discussion live. And I also had a blast at the Canadian Air Force Museum with him. Mike is definitely the person to be with if you want to learn about these old warplanes, as he knows so much about them. Last but not least, we'd like to thank all of you for listening. We appreciate your feedback and support. See you next month for episode 18, and guess what? By then, it'll only be five months until CocoaFest. Ha ha ha, sorry Mark. Well, in the words of John, Retro Forever and Coco Forever, have a great month, everyone.